tip today in association with Slatteries of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slatteriesgarage.ie Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today. 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. Won't cost you to make a call. And Ali is producing today. Coming up on the show, a record number of trolleys in Limerick as the health crisis deepens. Uh, a three-month accommodation time limit to be imposed on Ukrainian refugees. One listener's painful account uh, may convince us all that rings should not be included in the barn bracks. Our GP, Dr. Pat Harrell, will speak to us about vertigo today. I'll be chatting to uh, Dylan Quirk's dad, Dan, um, in the uh, the final hour, in fact, of uh, the programme. Interior design with uh, Karen Prendergast and our agony aunt, Phil Prendergast, will be with us as well. So all of that and much, much more coming up between now and uh, 12 o'clock. You can text and WhatsApp 83 311 Double three double one. You can email tip today at tipfm.com. Lovely prize for you as well because Louise Morrissey, Tipperary's own um, country music star, is celebrating 35 years in the country music business on Friday, November 3rd at the Talbot Hotel in Clonmel. We have a pair of tickets to give away uh, to that. She'll be joined on the night by a rather star-studded lineup. Indeed, Philomena Begley will be there, Ray Lynham, Jerry Guthrie, Marty Daniels, Molly O'Connell. And a wonderful backing band called Matrimony, and uh, they're just terrific all together. So um, we are giving those tickets away, and all you have to do is text us. 83 gives your name and your details, and uh, put Louise at the end of your text or WhatsApp. We'll pop you into the draw. It's as simple as that. Let's have a look at what's making headlines across your newspapers today. There's really only two... Two main stories. Uh, the sentencing, of course, of Yosef uh, uh, Polanyi is uh, the big story right across the newspapers today. The Irish Times telling us that anti-terrorism guardy worked with overseas security agencies to determine if Yosef Polanyi, uh, who was on uh, uh, Monday, yesterday in fact, sentenced uh, to life for the murder of two gay men, was engaged in terrorism because uh, there was €350,000 in cash in two suitcases in his home in Sligo Town, and as you can imagine, that raised fears that he had been paid by an Islamic terrorism group uh, to carry out the attacks. However, the Gardaí concluded there were no outside groups or individuals involved in the attack. That's according to the Irish Times. Also across the newspaper today, talk about uh, the flooding in Cork, and uh, Cork County Council has strongly defended its uh, response to recent uh, flooding caused by Storm Babbitt. Uh, that saw some 250 properties in Middleton and hundreds of properties elsewhere in the East Cork region flooded with unprecedented uh, rainfall. But the chief executive of the authority, Valerie O'Sullivan, uh, cited inaccurate commentary by some in the media about the flooding being caused by blocked drains in the wake of last uh, Wednesday's flooding, which affected Middleton and surrounding areas. The uh, uh, Irish Independent, again, with that headline mystery of the €357,000 in cash found at the double killer's home. The examiner and their take on that story is that uh, shame is born in this court by one person alone 
And uh, that was according to Justice Mary Ellen Ring uh, telling the Central Criminal Court yesterday uh, when sentencing the homophobic serial killer Joseph uh, Polanyi to life in prison. The um, Irish Daily Mail with a very chilling headline again referring to that case. I would have kept killing and seemingly Mr Polanyi was motivated by his hatred of gay men and he told detectives that he would have continued to kill if the Gardaí had not stopped him. So that's what's making headlines in your newspapers today. If you want to make comment on any of that, 83 Now we got some awful news yesterday just before we went off air that a record had been set at University Hospital Limerick and it's not a record that anybody could be proud of. 130 of the 563 people without a bed nationwide yesterday in our hospitals were at the Midwest facility. That's according to the INMO figures. A new record at the facility which serves not only in Limerick but of course also uh, North Tipperary. But it's just the latest in the long-running deterioration, I suppose, of our health services. Noreen joins me now. Good morning to you, Noreen. Morning, Glenn. Thanks for having me on. You're very welcome and lovely to talk to you today. Now, I know it wasn't Limerick Hospital you attended, but will you tell me about your experience in a hospital at the weekend, Noreen? I went from it. We was at um, Tipperary University Hospital and, um, oh, gee, because where do I start? It was a horrible hospital 12 years ago when my mother, unfortunately, had to spend a month there. Um, that's a difference, I suppose, like, but her, her treatment at the time was completely tantamount to incompetence and, and neglect. But it's still a hor- horrible hospital. Um, and what was your experience? Were, were you... Anyway, yes. Sorry. Uh, I had been having a chest discomfort, friend, for a few days. Yeah. Tightness and a bit breathless and some slight pain and tenderness in the in the left rib. But because I had recently had COVID and I had been very sick with it, really, and I, I also have asthma, I was I was putting it down to that. But I was, get, I was getting worried, Fran, and I was getting a bit anxious. Yeah. So Saturday afternoon, I rang the care doc. I explained my symptoms. Uh, the care doc nurse advised me to go to the A&E because it could be angina and better to get it checked. She actually offered to call an ambulance for me. Mm. So the jigs and the reel is, anyway, I went into the A&E around, I think it was around 10 to 6. So... Usual, you fill out the, the form as you go in uh, for the COVID check, and then you go into the receptionist with the same information. And I suppose then you're put there in that little waiting now. The old waiting room fan is closed off now. Is it? I haven't been there in, in a long time, Noreen. Yeah, uh, aren't you lucky? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's closed off now to uh, for an isolation unit. Mm. So the waiting area now is down towards the main entrance. Mm. But, so, about 20 minutes later, anyway, I was called into the triage nurse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get your blood you get your blood pressure and your your uh, blood oxygen and your temperature taken. And uh, that was the start of it, anyway. And even from that, it was, uh, you know, these one-syllable answers, you know, um, is everything all right there? Yes. Um now go down, please, and wait in the waiting area. And at this so, stage, were you concerned, Noreen, that you might be about to have a heart attack or have had a heart I attack? I wasn't, Fran. I didn't feel that way. You know, I had even said that to the nurse in the... In the I was anxious now. I won't say I wasn't anxious. Yeah. I was, because you never know. And especially when she mentioned angina, 
because I then again, then the warning bells start ringing. Yes. You know, and you think, oh, Jesus, what's going on? But you hadn't been diagnosed with angina at any point, had you? No. No, no okay. Okay, so this no. was was a bit of a shock to you, yeah. Yeah, the fact, and, and my mother had angina, so, okay. yeah. you know, when she said that, I said, I better get this, better get this checked. Right. So anyway, down to the waiting area, and... um. I kind of cut this as short as I can. Mm. It was about, it was near to half past seven mm. before I was called by another nurse to uh, come back up along again, the whole way up along again, um, for um, blood to be, t- you know, for blood to be mm. withdrawn mm. and for an ECG. This is an hour and a half later now, Frank. Right, right. And now this particular nurse, you know, you'd feel more you feel more warmth radiating from a from a fridge. Right. So so there was so, was nothing friendly about it. Yeah. No, it was just all. Oh, please yes. this, please turn this way, please turn that way. You know. Yes. And anyway, she went to to withdraw the blood in my arm, mm-hmm. and um, it, it didn't feel right because it shouldn't hurt as much as it hurt it. And um, I said, nurse, is, is this okay? You know, pointing to my arm. And uh, yes, yes. And I said, nurse, this doesn't feel. This doesn't feel right. And uh, so she, she didn't answer me, and maybe she didn't understand me. And when you say it didn't feel right, w- were you in pain with this, Nori? It, what, it just it didn't. It felt as if it hadn't gone in right. It was hurting too much because I mean, I've had blood withdrawn before, Fran, and I've had bruising from blood withdrawn, yes. but I've never had anything like this. If you had a video link at the minute, you'd be shocked. At my arm. At, at how bruised you are. Not just the bruising; it, it started to swell. Wow. So what what so happened anyway, then with the with the with the nurse? Yeah. Anyway, so like a little lamb, then back down to the waiting area, and um, I lost track of time after that, friend. So I think somewhere before nine o'clock, I would have seen the doctor, and she was lovely and gave me her time, and you know I have no. Couldn't complain at all on that on that area, mm. and um, I forgot to say to her about my arm because I was trying to tell her how I felt. Of course, yes. You know, with my chest and the ribs and the whole lot. So she had she was happy with the ECG, but wanted me to have um, an X-ray. She ordered an X-ray, a chest X-ray. So that was fine. I was happy then in myself. You know, the mm. ECG had had been okay. So the arm was kind of throbbing and. It's starting to swell up a bit. So um, I was thinking to myself, I can't stick this much longer. But the only good thing out of it was it took my mind off of the, my pain in the chest. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yes. um, I said to myself, what am I going to do here? Because it, it, it really wasn't, it was really, really hurting now, yeah. you know. So I said, I'll go and see, can I get somebody? And were you so, still in the hospital at this point, Snorri? Oh, I was still yes. down in the waiting okay. area. Yeah. I had had the X-ray at this stage. Yeah. And um, it, it was causing me great discomfort. Now, more than discomfort, friend. Mm. You know, to be honest, more than discomfort. So um, <laughs> I made my way back up along again towards the, the main part. Um, could I find somebody? So this other nurse that had also taken my blood pressure, I headed for, for this um, this lady. And I said, nurse, I said, um, you know, this this does not feel right at all. It's hurting me very much. No, no, no. She said, uh, you must leave in. 
And um, I said, no, I said, this doesn't feel normal. I said, this is not normal. No, 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 it must stay in because maybe the doctor needs to give you antibiotics or, you know, take more blood. I said, yes, I understand that. I said, I understand that, but I said, this is not normal pain. And if you want to put another one back in later, then, you know, do that. Mm. Mm. So, um, oh, no, no. And I said, look, I said, if you don't take it out, I'll have to get somebody to take it out. So I think she could see herself that it wasn't right. And she looked worried, to be fair to her, because she wasn't the one who had put it in. Yes. And, but she took it out anyway, Fran. Right. And um, with great relief. So the rest of the story is then I waited and waited and um, uh, had to see the doctor again and was discharged after 11. So six, was it more than six hours then, uh, Noreen, was it? It would be, would be there about. Six hours, yeah. The the thing about it, Fran, when you go into a a hospital, you you expect to wait. Yes, yeah. But you don't expect to feel that you're, you also expect to feel that you're in the right place when you're not feeling well. And I certainly didn't feel like that, and nor did others that were there that evening. And you expect to be listened to as well. What was there? Did you mention to me there was some sort of language barrier as well? Was there? I felt there was. Yeah, that there was a kind of broken English there. Yeah. Yes. You know. And, 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 and did that mean that you found it hard to communicate with with? Some yeah, of the absolutely staff? fine. Okay. You know, that's about the size of it. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's hard enough at the best of times in in a healthcare environment to communicate with some of them. Without without yeah. a language barrier, and you feel that the needle was put in incorrectly, and you have experience of of, of needles. Uh, well, we've all got blood withdrawn at some yeah. point, Fran. You know, and we've all maybe possibly had bruising at some point. But this was more. This was it. It, it wouldn't be hurting to that extent. Yes, and even now, as we speak, you're telling me you still have. The fallout oh, from this, too. The, yeah. the swelling has gone down, but as I say to you, if you could see it, you would be shocked. You yeah. know, now, look, it's a minor thing. It's a minor thing. It's a very minor, minor thing, but um, it's the fact that this this is what you, Fran, and others that are paying tax all their life have to look forward to. It's interesting. <laughs> and uh, tell me this, the, the nurses, did they appear to be run off their feet? Not at all, not in the least. It was more staff than patients. Right, because we hear this all the time that the frontline staff are, you know, they're, they're overworked. Not last Saturday evening, Fran, no. No, they could have done one on one. They could have done two on one. So it was a Saturday evening uh, into Saturday night. Again, you'd expect yeah. the hospital to be busy, I suppose, around those times. But you're telling me nobody was overworked no. that you could see. No, there's a lot of people putting, you know, um, putting information into computers. There was three trolleys. Um, no, it, it, I mean, anyone that will that was there on Saturday evening, or that would come on and challenge what I'm saying, you know, what I'm saying is is a fact. You you have experience where where your your mum was concerned as well. Uh, do you think the service has deteriorated uh, since your experience around your mother being? Well, my, my mother Fran was a, was a, was an inpatient. You yes. know, she had been there on uh, for a month. She gave a month there, and all I can say on that it's a it's a different story. But I mean, it was just horrific what what you know my, my mother had to yeah. to um, 
And that's, that's quite some time ago, I, Noreen, is it? That's 12 years ago. 12 years now, ago. she was then referred to the Mercy and to see the difference, that, you know, of the treatment she got in the Mercy Hospital in Cork compared to Clonmel. You know, it's just like day and night. And what are you making of it? I mean, you know, we were talking yesterday about record numbers on trolleys down in UHL and, you know, in general, yeah. the, the, the minister is looking for far more money now just to keep services going. Uh, what are you making of it all, Noreen? I don't know. After listening to, to David Cullinan, his statement yes. about the, yeah, the, 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 yeah. the recruitment freeze, and yeah. I don't know in the name of God what's going on. To be, to be really honest, because they're throwing good money, like twenty five point two million billion, is a lot of money. It certainly is, and you and wonder about transparency around how it's being spent and the like. That board well, trend, oh my God, that board transparency. <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> You think there's very little transparency, I, I guess, Noreen, do you? Oh, I don't know how they're going to dig it out. I don't know where where is it at all, where the, where the root of it is, you know. But, I mean, nursing, I mean, the nursing profession is the backbone of the health system, you know, yeah. because you're, you're dealing with nurses much more than you're dealing with doctors. Yeah. And you need to, you know, all it takes, really, Fran, is, you know, it doesn't even take a nursing qualification. It just takes somebody to say to you, well, even the triage nurse, I'm going to come back to this, you know, to say to you, well, everything seems okay there. Just a we kind, a kind word. A kind, a kind word. word yeah. yeah. And another question, yeah, on the, on the triage nurse, yeah? Hmm. The biggest delay of all when you go into the D, to the A&E is you're waiting on the blood results. Hmm. Why can't the triage nurse take the blood? That would make sense to you, would it? The, um... It make complete sense because... You know, efficient, yeah. Well, in, in my case and everyone else that was there at that time, it would make two hours of a difference. Yeah, you see, these are all the kind of details that need to be discussed in terms of what's holding things up. I don't, I, I, I just look, and it's just, um, yeah. it's just, it, it, it's scary. It's very, very scary. You know, it's very scary. And, um, you need, you need, if you're vulnerable and and you, um, we'll say, an elderly person now, and when you're not feeling well, you're not really in a position to talk up to yourself. Well, that, that's interesting because you sound to me, Noreen, like somebody who's able to look after themselves. I mean, you, you would be able to speak up for yourself, but I, I, the point you're making is that if somebody wasn't, if somebody was frail and frightened, and it would be a difficult environment for them, wouldn't it? Well, you see, Fran, you have to be very careful when, <coughs> like my experience with my mother was, you cannot lose the rag in the health system because if you do, you, they'll go the other way. You have to be very, 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 you know, you, yes. you just, yeah. you have to be persistent, but yet very mannerly. And yeah. that's two very hard things to combine at the one time. Yeah. Like I recall one incident of going in to see my mother and she needed a toilet and there was a changeover of shifts going on at the time, but she ha- I couldn't bring her to the toilet and she had an IV dripping. Yes. So um, I went up to the desk. There was three nurses at the desk. Um, yes, we'll be down now in a minute. Three three times I spoke, friend. And now my mother was very distressed because oh, she, the she said she was going to go on the bed. Oh, the poor daughter. Yes. And um, to get my mother get my mother at that time taken, to get her taken care of, right? It, t- it turned out that she had a, sh- a tumour on the esophagus. Mm. 
right? To get her taken care of, this is a point I must make because it's still there today, I believe. She had been in the nursing home at the time. The nursing homes cannot put up a drip. Yes, yeah. Right, it's shocking. Yeah. The matron in the nursing home said to me, she said, do whatever you can, she said, knowing for them to keep her there because we cannot do anything for her in here. And that's, that's still the case, to the best of my knowledge, uh, yeah. Now, I practically had to plead, to plead. They were going sending her back that very day, back to the nursing home, even though my mother wasn't holding down food. She wasn't, she was completely dehydrated. Now, at this stage, they didn't know there was a tumour there. She went through numerous endoscopies, right? Yes. That I remember asking... One of the, the the doctors is is this necessary? Why why couldn't she have an MRI? And you know you'd be thinking, oh God, what are we going to do here? This was just so difficult for her. And um, so I asked somebody else, could we pay for an MRI to be done? And the, the answer was, well, if you go privately for an MRI, then you're gone out of the medical care system. So you're into paying for everything then at that point, is that it? Basically, yeah, which yeah. which is a bit of rubbish, really, because if you're sick, you're sick, you know. But it would have saved my mother, it would have saved her a month, a month, friend, of just complete invasive treatments that weren't necessary at all, and then to be transferred to cost. And then, friend, they took, they, they cut her completely, now, completely off of her medication that she had been on for 25 years, Right? because they thought it was to do with the medication that could be causing her reflux. And right? they did not even communicate that information with Cork. By the time she got to Cork and the tumour was discovered, her other medication, right? I, I was, oh, it was, it was just unbelievable at the time. But this woman had been taken off medication that she had been on for 25 years. She was also having withdrawal symptoms. My God. And, you know, the way you describe it, and it's the main concern I have about older people in these situations, you know, just they, older people, they, they're dignified and they want their privacy and stuff. And, you know, those kind of conditions about the bathroom and all of that, I, I just really feel for them where that is concerned, Noreen, you know. Well, you can worry about it for yourself, Fran, unless you have yeah. someone there to talk with. Yeah, I know. I know. Noreen, I'm glad you're well, which is the main thing. Um, but, I am fine, thanks. But, but yes. thank you so much for coming on with us and telling your story so well, Noreen. If yeah. I could just say, Fran, to anybody yeah. there listening, you know, about, you know, getting back to, to the to the care doc, yeah. you know, her, her advice was, was so right, you know, that don't put off getting chest pain put, uh, checked out. You know, nine times out of ten, it'll turn out to be very minor. Right. It could be muscle strain, digestive issues, anxiety, anything. But get a check because it could save your life. Well, that's very good advice indeed. Noreen, you look after yourself and thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks good, very much, Good, good morning to you, Noreen. Bye-bye to you now. Um, 1800 938 007. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Hi there, it's... 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, uh, welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Some response to uh, Noreen's chat with me there. One of our listeners saying, uh, Clanmel Hospital may have its faults, but everybody up there is doing their very best with the resources that they have. If it wasn't for them, we'd be heading to Limerick, which is a disaster altogether. Um, The whole system is wrong, says one of our listeners. Somebody else saying, I think Noreen is being unfair about Clanmel Hospital. Well, she's just giving us her... Her experience. Anyway, this system goes on to say uh, the staff are run off their feet there. They couldn't do enough for my dad when he was there. Uh, every single one of them, from paramedics to uh, A&E and to the ward, we had a long wait, but they did their very best. They didn't fail him. He had stage four cancer. Teresa was on to say, we all know nurses don't have permission to give medical information until the doctor examines the patient to see what's going on. Uh, Annie says that uh, Noreen has made some very valid points about the hospital, the system of traipsing up and down uh, the corridor. Um, with uh, for assessment and uh, the like as well needs to be considered. It's archaic ways, says Anne. Um, okay, lots more coming in where that is concerned. Just to to address the point about nurses not having permission to give medical information without the doctor's examination, I go go along with you on that. I think the point that Noreen was making though would be just a few words of comfort, maybe just to to be friendly in, in, in some sort of a fashion. Anyway, we were speaking to uh, our historian, uh, Mary Alice O'Connor, yesterday about Barn Brack and the history of it. Now, this was uh, brought up because uh, the story doing the rounds that the ring is no longer included in Barn Bracks in some stores. Teresa was in touch with us where this is concerned and joins me now. Good morning to you, Teresa. Good morning, friend. And lovely to talk to you today. Um, the idea of putting the ring in the barn brack, you agree it shouldn't be in there. Will you tell me why, Teresa? Um, well, I'm at an age now where I can talk and listen to the radio a lot. Um, when I was younger, um, I had a ring on my finger and it was out of a barn brack because it happened in November. Yeah. And I was coming down the street and like all young people that, 14, you'd be jumping and full of energy. Mm. I jumped up to um, a signpost, which is on the street, showing um, the direction, that you know, of road signs. Yeah. And the ring caught in the back of it, because it's the back of the here. And the ring caught on the back of the sign and pulled the skin and the top off my oh, finger. Oh, stop. Oh, stop. And the ring didn't even break, because my friend held onto it for a while, and she told me. And... Um, and that's how it happened. And I spent two months in Nina Hospital because of that accident. I spent, I don't know, long more going up and down to um, Richmond Hospital in in Dublin. Right. And did you lose a portion of the finger then? Could they I lost the top or... of my finger and I lost the whole of the skin from under the joint to the, to the very top. I lost the first, the, the joint at the, at the oh top. Yes. Oh, my God. And the doctor, I suppose, experiment, I don't know, he was Indian. And um, he took it into my leg that night, had an operation, took it into my leg. And like that parent talked, he just signed a form. And he took it into my leg. And he came along then, and I spent, what, I don't know how long, in, 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 in bed with bandages on it. And how, uh, how, how do you mean he stuck it into your leg? He injected you into your leg, was that it? He injected. 
injected my finger into a hole in my leg and my under my hip on my on my left with my left hand, my middle finger. Right. And he put it into my leg and he came along then and they cut a big lump just below my hip, that part of your tie, and he took a lump out of it and he put it on my finger. But it had to stay in my leg for a while, so they'd graft the take. And um and the hardest part was changing the bandages, of course. If you have a plaster on your finger, you know how sore it is. They have a very sore. Yeah. And it was yeah. he was strapped there for I don't know how long. Anyway, he took the lump out of my leg. And um, that had to be bandaged very often, every day, I suppose. Um, it took ages to take. So I spent two months in Nina. And then because of that, they had to take some skin off my right leg to cover some of that that he took off my leg. And to put more on the back of my finger Good God. to cover that, and um, so my, my my legs were scared for life. Um, and, and this all started with you wearing wearing a barn brack ring. Wearing a barn brack ring, yes. That's, that's yes, that's incredible. And and uh, but I mean, you were disfigured then, basically. Oh, very uh, very yes. disfigured. Now I have um, I took ages for them to heal. Yes, I couldn't walk for. I don't know why. Well, when I was in hospital, I was on a wheelchair for a while when I going around, when I could get up out of the bed, when it did come out of my leg. Um, yeah, and, two and months. The, and Christmas in hospital we had. Oh, my God. And the grafting, Teresa, did it, yes. it, it didn't make the, the, the finger look any better, did it? No, it, it made it uglier looking because you have a big lump of your, your, your flesh off your tie on the top of your finger. You have the bone sticking out of the top. Um, I can't use it because there's no feeling in it. And I don't know why they just didn't take it all off altogether and be done with it. And I'd have no scares. And did you, I mean, did they speak to you about that? Did they admit that? No, nobody ever talked to me about it or my parents. And I know my doctor didn't agree with it. I knew by his expression, but they don't say anything against each other. Yeah. You know, and I was only young. I was only 14. But a young girl at the age of at the age of fourteen, I mean, that must have been yes. devastating. You, no, know, you, could never, you never went swimming yes. because of them. That was a big trauma. You, you couldn't go swimming when you were school because you just felt embarrassed because everyone would be looking at your scares. That's yeah. that's that's the most incredible story. I mean, really. So that's, this happened, and I got a right up with Danny. He was a heenie. He wrote for the garden. He used to come in every night, and he'd walk around the beds, and he'd ask you, what's happened to your story? And he'd write it down, yeah. your stories. Yeah, um, that's why I'm saying, black rings are dangerous, because young are they're jumping, they're tearing. Well, they did it that time anyway. Right, and are you saying to me, if it was a different kind of a ring, it would have been a different outcome? Is that, I, is that I don't point, know. Teresa? You don't know. I don't know, don't know. now. Um, mm. I don't know how many people ever lost their fingers with rings. Yeah, but well, I just think they're well, dangerous I, I think for young my, people. I think my grandmother did, in fact. Uh, my my father's mother, I think she was getting out of a, a lorry or something and caught a, caught the ring and lost lost her finger because of it, if memory serves me correct. So, yeah. And, and, and I know of somebody else who it happened to as well, uh, called in for his lunch. He was, he was painting a, a kind of a corrugated gate and he jumped down uh-huh. and caught yes. a wedding ring. On it, so I, I've heard of it happening, but uh, but never the grafting, yes. as in your case, you know. Yeah, mine was grafted into my leg, and there's a lump going out of my leg there, to my left. Yeah, 
I just was that time of the time people maybe it was experiment I don't know he was an Indian doctor I always remember him um, yeah, and well, I remember going through it, it well, was, his race obviously didn't play a part in in his no work, but, I just don't know yeah. what, was, what was the idea was because it was a waste of time yeah. doing it because it was no addition to it and me. it was a mistake as far as you're concerned yes and oh, definitely. And uh, as you say, at that particular time, you wouldn't follow up on something like that, like well, you, you would nowadays. Parents reason. didn't talk yeah. about doing things. Yeah. And you didn't, because they you were too young. Yeah. yeah, they accepted it. They signed the form and off they went. They did what they wanted. And there was no questions asked. So, Halloween, you know, every year, this all comes flooding back to you, I guess, does it? Uh, well, no, I'm over trauma now, but <laughs> I never need anything for it. Yeah. Like, I put on my wedding rings and that's it. I have them on and I leave them, but I don't ever wear rings anyway. I don't wear jewellery anyway. And not for that reason. I just not into jewellery. All right. I, I, I it, thought it might be... You're scared for life because you don't wear rings. Yeah. Yeah. You don't but highlight yes. your hand, I suppose, in any No, you'd be it? always um, conscious of it um, because it's... I remember going one time um, to Africa with my daughter and um, a young girl, we were working in an orphanage and um, she saw it and she, and I had to hide it a good because she kept looking at it and watching you, thinking, you know, it frightens her. And it frightens young children when they see it first because it's, it's different. Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very different because you have a lump in your skin or your leg on your finger which isn't natural. And it, it looks unusual. I'm, I'm sure it does indeed. And when you went back to school then, Teresa, after the trauma of it, was it, was that difficult for you? Were things different then? Because Well, I didn't play sports. Right. Now, maybe I wasn't in sports anyway, but I didn't. I remember going sitting to school, I never played basketball because you were always afraid. Because even at that, I was still going up and down to the hospital. And until the end, my mother said, no, she has enough operations, trying to get it right. Um, so she didn't but we didn't go anymore so your mother put a stop to it yeah yeah she said you know I wasn't, wasn't they weren't making it any better and I wasn't uh, I suppose uh, when you know um, you know when you get anaesthetics they're hard on you yeah of course they are of course yeah. they are and so, it, it's, it's amazing how that will be dealt with so differently nowadays if something like that happened you know Oh, I definitely. They would, you know, I'd say they'd take off your finger and skin graft it nice and tidy, you know, for to, to mount to the, the first um, joint. Because at the end of the day, it didn't work that way. It just scared you. Well, Teresa, it's an incredible story, and thank you so much indeed for coming on with us uh, uh, today. You, you, you're not a... I'm sorry if I'm being facetious. You're not a fan of Barn Brack, I would imagine. After that. I, I like Barn Brack, but no, I usually throw away the rings. <laughs> and I don't, I, I don't let my children wear them either. My grandchildren, yes. I don't advertise them to wear right. them. I, and I show them because they understand. Because they know and they look, look, look at my finger and they see it. And they're always asking, can I see it? Or the neighbours, if they're young children. They're fascinated by it. Well, yeah. You know. Yeah, maybe the decision by Dunn's Doors is justified then, certainly, as far as you're concerned. Yes, and to everyone out there, yes, Baron Breck, rings for young people are dangerous Mm -hmm. because, you know, young people, they're jumping and they're tearing Mm -hmm. and they're they're into doing sort of things well, they used to be. Now it's computers and everything. I suppose. Teresa, lovely lovely to talk to you today and dare I say happy Halloween to you, Teresa, but really... (laughs) Really good to talk you to you. friend. Thank you so much. Thank you so very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. 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 That's uh, Teresa with incredible story uh, about a barn brack ring. 83 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie The Tip... If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. So I'm now to speak to our GP, and that's uh, Dr. Pat Harold, who is based in Nina. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, Pat. Good to talk to you today. I know we're going to speak about vertigo, but first of all, Ali tells me you, you, you have a little bit of laryngitis today, Pat. I have a little bit of laryngitis. I'm, I'm talking like um, like this, you know, friend. I've got sort of great gravitas in my voice. And uh, what's laryngitis? You say, well, thank you, friend. I'll, I'll tell you, it's, it's what you can hear in me. I, I force, and it's generally caused by a virus, and it sort of settles down. You know, when you when you, there's sore throats of various kinds, mm. and the first thing um, generally your bug arrives when it hits your system is it goes and it clattered into your tonsils, which are like the bouncers in a nightclub. Mm. And this is the one that the kids get, you know, you generally don't see it much in older people, you know, I mean, hardly ever. But um, the kids, you can sometimes look in and you'll see two things like red golf balls yes. at the back of the throat. And um, that probably needs an antibiotic, but most of the time, nearly all sore throats are viral. And we're well used to the virus, but this is this is the thing I've got now. And what you do for you... Um, Complete rest is the thing. So, um, no, stop me talking isn't me, <laughs> I can tell you. But, um, yeah. but you need to rest, you need to avoid smoke of all kinds, smoky environment and smoking bags and smoking whatever else. And uh, also, um, local honey is great. I wouldn't buy the honey in the supermarket, it's mm. any syrup, just good local Tipperary honey from whenever, wherever you get it, and plenty of people make it. And you sort of go home and keep your mouth shut. Right. No. Yeah. And I often wonder, Pat, because I know people who lose their voice completely with laryngitis. Now, thankfully, that's never happened to me, but some people seem to be more susceptible than others. Is that fair yeah. to say? It, it's a big thing for musicians. Yeah. Um, like, um, a lot of it is, is voice training and doing it properly. He also knows that, and I'm by no means an expert in this, but national school teachers, especially when they get into their 30s, their voices get very sort of hoarse and cracked because they're forcing it properly. And I know speech therapists, speech and language therapists who tell me that all national school teachers and, and I suppose anybody who's talking a lot yeah. loudly, constantly, should get speech therapy and training like singers yes. when they're young before it develops because it can be too late to to, to hack it. But um, a lot of musicians get it. Like, um, I believe Stevie Nicks was really prone to it and um, she had all kinds of, you know, terrible things she used to do and gargling and mm. all this sort of stuff and probably wouldn't talk between shows. Freddie Mercury was prone to it. And my pal Davy and the Saw Doctors, Davy um, went to a speech and language therapist and he's now back singing better than ever. You know, I mean, a lot better than the a lot better than he was thirty years ago. So, um, you know, it just shows that if you if you do have a professional job, and I wouldn't count myself in that. I mean, I talk all day long, but I generally talk very quietly. Yeah, people, yeah. They're not putting a huge strain in my voice. But um, if a virus comes along, even with my age, it's a bit unusual. But um, that's laryngitis, and if you're talking like that, and the worst yeah. thing you can do is keep talking and strain it, and um, you should really go home and get a good book in the way and just 
tell everybody you're out of business. And uh, that generally does the job. It's interesting. Yeah, a lot of singers would tell you, in fact, uh, Pat, that it's not the singing that um, they find damaging, but it's the talking afterwards. And particularly if you're talking with, with loud music in the background or something like that, you know, that is more damaging than the singing. Because they probably sing from the uh, the diaphragm, so it's proper. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know. so they know what they're doing. Yeah. It's That's a, fascinating. It's interesting. Yeah, it's probably it? arguing with managers trying to get money. <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine used to call that the agony in the garden at the end of the night when you're trying to get paid, you know. Um, <laughs> vertigo then, Pat. What, oh, what is vertigo. It? Now, yeah. I have a special request to talk about vertigo and um, I sent um, I sent the guy off to the physiotherapist to get the vertigo treated and um, he came back. He was absolutely, you know, telling me all about it as if I hadn't sent him in the first place. <laughs> and... Um, it's, it's, look, it's an inner ear problem to affect your balance. Mm. And um, the first thing is it, vertigo feels like everything around you is spinning. And it, it's a little bit more than feeling dizzy. It's a, bit, it's a, lot, more, it's a lot more like feeling drunk. And um, either you're moving or the room is moving. Now, some people can get it for a few seconds or it can last hours. And in, in a very unfortunate case, it can last for days or months. Typically, it sort of lasts kind of a weekend. You know, um, yeah. in most cases, I suppose the big job I'd have now would be distinguishing is this vertical at all, you know. Um, and if you get something like, okay, if you're banging on and you get double vision or loss of vision, that's not vertical. That's straight into casualty. Okay. Yeah. If you get hearing loss. Um, and now in, in all my years as a GP, I've only seen two people, and funny enough, happen in the same week, who suddenly lost their hearing of blue. Like, bang, went. And um, uh, they they threw everything at them. They threw antivirals at them, antibiotics. They gave them oxygen, high pressure. They gave them steroids and everything. And um, it didn't basically come back, which was very frightening. God, it must have been dreadful, so frightening. Dreadfully yeah. rare. Wow. And I don't think any cause was ever put in. Yeah. But, um, you know, but I mean, if, you, if you're worried about things like that, you know, the chances of getting that are tiny. But, mm. I mean, I, I've seen it a couple of times. But anyway, get back to what you think is there. If you have trouble speaking or your leg or arm weakness, numbness or tingling, that's much more like a stroke. Mm. Or like a TIA. And a TIA is like a warning of a stroke. It's like a stroke that happens and then goes away. Mm. And um, But you need to find out why did this happen. Because the next one could be 20 times worse. So they all need checking out. And, and very important, if you get any of this stuff, don't drive, you know, or put yourself in a dangerous situation, you know, yes. like up and up the ladder or something, because um, until you're quite happy that you're um, that you're feeling okay, you know. Mm. And and sometimes it occurs to me, I'd be driving thinking, geez, I saw somebody with vertigo or something. Did I tell them not to drive? You know, um, it might seem a bit self-evident, man, but, um, you know, if... if you are in a tip and you say, God, I felt terrible and my head was spinning and I felt awful. And irrespective of what the doctor said to you, because you're only human, mm. you know, you shouldn't really step into a car if you're feeling like crap. You know, that's, of course, <laughs> that's yes. the bottom line. And is it, linked, is it linked, Pat, to, to migraine? Because a couple of people make that point to me, is it? There is. There's a, there's a rare type of migraine that can give you, um, that can give you vertigo. Mm. And it's um, trying to actually entangle what it is doing is, is kind of very difficult and it's really the job for the expert um, if they come to me now the first thing is are they having a stroke is their blood pressure normal mm. do they have an ear infection sometimes ear infections can spark off this kind of thing mm. and then again like the laryngitis that could be that generally virus um, since we got antibiotics you generally don't see people with terrible 
cystoidosis, that's bad ear infections, you know. We used to see them, well, way before my time, in Victorian times. Um, that was a big deal, cystoidosis, mm. but you, you don't see it anymore. But um, if you feel feel very, very sick, and, it, and often you see that they're tied in because you can feel very nauseated with them. And yes, actually, yeah, yeah. There, there's a thing called mania, which means that you're... you're um, your hearing loss goes slowly and you get ringing in your ears, you get tinnitus. And um, your ear, I believe, kind of feels full and that um, that can kick it off. But most, a lot of the time, and the, 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 ter- the terms are, they use are very technical, but a lot of the time it's, it's crystals in your, um, in your cochlea, your labyrinth. And um, I'm sure you know the experience of trying to get a, a plectrum out of a guitar. I, I certainly do. I certainly do. Yeah, the plectrum yeah. is the pick and it's the little thing and you drop it into the middle of the and you have to shake it around to try and get it to come out of the hole. Yeah. Well, you've got these three semicircular canals in your ear and they're full of a nice soapy kind of a goo and the goo moves and it sets off these little sensors and sometimes a little bit of a crystal can get loose and it goes wandering off into the wrong canal and it flips and sets off all kinds of sensors and things. So what you've got to do is you've got to manoeuvre the head to get the crystals to fall out of the hole and back where it's supposed to go. Wow. And that's a job for a skilled physiotherapist. But if you or I had, um, had symptoms like we were born uh, like a TIA or a stroke and we went into a casualty department, they'd bring up a physio to check us out and they'd tell in you in about two minutes if it's um, vertigo or not or labyrinthitis or any of these conditions. And they do it by moving your head around and stop burping your eyes and things. Yes. And they can sort of treat it with a thing called the Epley Maneuver. And um, if you've got recurrent vertigo or chronic, if it's going on for a long time, you'd certainly look up um, going to a physiotherapist who specialises in these things. Right. Way better than any tablet. And they can fix you up. Right, but to be certain of, of what it is, Pat, is what you're saying to me. To be certain of what it is if you've never had it before. Yes. But if you know you've got vertigo and, you know, tablets aren't much good. They're kind of good enough for the nausea, but they don't do a pick of a lot more and can make you a bit dopey. But um, I suppose the message um, or when I to get out there is um, if vertigo is, is a problem for you, um, it's quite easy to find a physiotherapist who specialises in this. Right. And they will... Uh, which is very good news indeed. Pat, it's always a pleasure. And you look after yeah, yourself care, and look after that laryngitis. And thanks very much. I'll send you, honey. Okay, good luck. <laughs> good luck to you, Pat. Bye bye. That's our GP, the very popular uh, Dr. Pat Harrell, based, of course, in uh, Nina. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today. With Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on. On 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks, Pat. Uh, welcome back to the second hour of uh, Tip Today. Mary was on. She's wondering about flooding on the Cashel Rose Green Clonmel Road. And she says, Fran, is that your route? 
Um, it usually is merry, but would you believe for some reason or other, uh, this morning it came the other way, so it came into Golden, Nockavilla Golden, uh, into New Inn and across then into uh, Clanmel. So I normally go the other way, so I don't know. So can anybody help us? Um, are there floods on the Cashel? Rose Green, Clanmel Road, 0833113311. Fran, I suffer from vertigo, tinnitus and migraine and it's very debilitating at times, but my medication certainly helps. God, it must be vertigo, tinnitus and migraine uh, as well. I really feel for people who suffer for, from uh, migraines because I get headaches every so often, simple headaches. And, uh, you know, uh, so I can only imagine what it must be like to have a, a migraine because that drives me absolutely nuts. Oh, it's uh, 083 311 3311. Now, changes are coming for accommodation provided for Ukrainian refugees here in Ireland. A new policy is due to go before Cabinet very soon, which will mean that accommodation will only be provided for three months after which... Uh, people will have to find their own place to live. Now, this proposal has received a mixed response, as you can imagine. Anne joins me now. Good morning to you, Anne. Uh, good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, Anne. Um, what do you make of that three-month limit, that proposal after which Ukrainian uh, refugees would have to find some place to live themselves? Uh, I honestly don't know how it's going to work. Mm. Um, we all know there's a big problem with um, housing. Yeah, huge And problem. trying to get accommodation. Yeah. Anyway, so what will it mean? Will it mean that we're going to add Ukrainian homeless people to our own list of homeless people? It's sort of, it's another one of these um, ideas, I think, that hasn't been thought out. Now, I do know that in other European countries that they do have a, a kind of a cut-off point where people, I think in Poland, they have to start paying for their accommodation after three months or, mm. or that. And the same in the Czech Republic that... Um, they only get to three months and then they uh, have to look for their own accommodation. But they may not have the same housing crisis that we have. You know, so... So um, this, this will only add to existing problems here, is what you're saying, Anne. Is that, that, is that yeah, it? That's, yeah, that's the way I see it, you know. Yeah. Um, now, maybe, I mean, I think it's going to Cabinet this morning, or very, very soon anyway, yeah. and it may not be agreed upon, uh, you know. But... Uh, Maybe they're trying to deter people from coming here, and they tell them, "Look, if you come, you're going to have, you're on your own." Like after three months. Yeah, because uh, see, I was seemingly, very, sorry, I, I beg your pardon, and do yeah. do go on. Yeah, you you were going back. I was to just say. surprised uh, to hear that there's 200 Ukrainian refugees coming every week. Yeah. You know, you you think if they have family here or friends here, that they would be telling them, "Look, it's not that easy to get accommodation." You know, and. Yeah, well, you see, seemingly uh, the the social welfare that they receive here is much more generous than than anywhere else. By the way, it's two hundred arriving per day, and per day. Oh, per day is it? Oh, God, per day. I thought it was per week. It's it's a lot of people. So I suppose the government have to start looking at the issue um, because Mm. it it can't go on forever. I suppose. Oh, it can't. I mean, we do have a moral obligation to help refugees from, you know, any place. Yeah. But we have to help them in a, a, you know, in a decent, respectful manner. And some of the accommodation that uh, they're being put into wouldn't be desirable. Yes. You know, I mean, you're put tents, into a, an old yeah. convent yeah. that, you know, you have to share bathrooms and kitchens with other families. You don't have any privacy, you know, putting people into big dormitories. You know, it's, um, it, 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 like, we do have to help them, you know, but properly. 
Yes. And they do have to look at it. And they've, like the war has gone on a lot longer than what any of us thought it would go on. But they've had that 18 months to work out a plan, a proper plan. And, and they haven't done anything. I mean, putting tents, uh, you know, housing 950 above in Glendalough and mm. yeah. um, 950 somewhere else. And especially as we approach winter time as yeah, well. Yeah, you know, intense you know. and, and temporary, like they'll be there for a few weeks. But you and I both know that temporary in Ireland could be six months. Could be six years. But when you hear about this proposal, Anne, are you saying to me that this really indicates a major shift in government policy and government thinking at this point? And I think it's coming from the EU. Yeah. To be honest, um, because I think they've they've uh, all, they've extended the temporary protect, protection directive until March twenty twenty five, but. Um, they they do know that there is, there is a limit to what people can do and do properly. Yeah, they're making the point that Ireland's approach is significantly significantly different to other EU countries, and it's a case that now they're coming in line with that in some way. So yeah, yeah, that seems to be what's yeah. happening. All right, um, uh, like like, like I said, they've had eighteen months to come up with a proper plan. They mentioned modular houses like at the start. And yeah. only a, like 700 modular houses and how many have actually been finished. Yeah. You know, and I, I, they just don't, I don't think they know what they're doing, really. They're in a, in a, they've backed themselves into a corner and now they're trying to find a way out. And it's not a proper way out, if you know what I mean. Because if people that come in from, say, tomorrow, if they sign off on this today, if from coming in tomorrow, they only have until the end of January and then they're out looking for some place to rent, and there is no place. But did you indicate to me at the start of our conversation that you think that this is possibly um, to make it less attractive for, mm. for, for Ukrainian it, it refugees to come here? Do you, do you think that that's what it might be? Uh, it could be. Yeah. It could be, uh, you know, uh, because if they have to, I mean, at the minute, anyone in this uh, state-provided accommodation can stay there, you know, indefinitely, mm. which isn't healthy for them either, mm. you know. Uh, but as we say, and as we know, there is a housing crisis, and there's very little places to rent, and there's they're very expensive. What is out there? Mm. And from stats I've read, there's um, ninety-seven thousand Ukrainians here at the moment, and out of that, fifteen thousand are working. Mm. So, yeah. if depending on social welfare to give them enough money to rent in private, you know, the private market, they won't be able to do it. Yeah, it's very interesting. And, you know, for people who are putting it out, they really came home to me recently because I was in a hotel and I happened to be having a meal. Um, and because of space, I, I was eating a, in the same area that Ukrainians were eating. And they had a totally different system. They had to go up and serve themselves. And I, me being the nosy so-and-so that I'm, I couldn't help but notice what they were eating. And, you know, like, it, it wasn't Cordon Bleu cooking, for sure. Do you know, it was... Fast food kind of stuff. Yeah, well, it was just slapped onto a plate and they had to go and serve oh. themselves. And do you know, for anybody who thinks that they're living in sort of... Luxury, yeah, they're not. Absolute luxury, they're, they're, no. they're, they're not. You know, it's important to no. keep that in mind, I suppose, as well. And mm. really good to talk to you today. Yeah. And thank you for your okay, time, man. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye bye-bye. You. Now, representative <coughs> groups, excuse me, Four Ukrainians living in Ireland expressed concern at the proposal. I was just speaking to Hannah about there with Kate Durant of the Community Response Forum questioning the availability of housing once the three-month period ends. And Kate joins me now. Good morning to you, Kate. 
Good morning. How are you doing? I'm very well indeed. Nice to talk Good. to you there. Anne was yes, just making good. making a similar point to you, really. Oh. Um, where will this housing be found? And It won't. It won't. And I, just listening to the end of your conversation with Anne, you are talking about when you were in the hotel yeah. and seeing how people were eating. And, yeah, they're not... It's like when we talk about, say, giving a hamper of food to somebody that, that's living in food poverty, and automatically we get this idea in our head that it's full of the hampers say you might get one at Christmas yeah. from somebody. It's not. This is this is basic stuff. This is basic sustenance to keep a roof over somebody's head. And I think all the time, whenever we're having these conversations, and I can hear this in your voice too, you know, we, we, we talk about, one, we talk about the people on masses, you know, these people, um, mm. which, which doesn't help. We've got to be really careful not to dehumanise anybody. And the other side of it is, is, I think we're forgetting that nobody is here by choice. I mean, nobody, I don't know if you ever play this game where you, you're sitting in front of the fire at night, last night, rough old night out there, the telly's on, the fire's lighting, you've got your cup of tea beside you, and you say to yourself, OK, somebody comes in and they say, you've got two days to get out of here. You're never going to come back because this is going to be raised to the ground and you've got um, your carry-on luggage to take with you, to take your life with you. And I think with all our deliberations and with every conversation we have around people who are here because their country's been invaded, whether from Ukraine or anywhere else, we've got to keep that at the core of everything we say. Nobody is here by choice. Nobody leaves their home, their life, their elderly parents, um, their job to come to a country where they possibly don't speak the language where much as the people are, the Irish people have been superb and I think the government have done as good a job as they can too. But nobody, I haven't yet met a Ukrainian person who wants to be here. They're very grateful to be here, but they don't want to be here. Here's not home. Yeah, it's interesting. And what do you say to people who would be critical of the government here because we're more generous than other European countries and possibly, Cage, this is an attempt to get us on par with others. What, what what do you say to that? Well, first I would say, I would say that their, their use of the word generous is, is laughable. They're not generous, but it's humane. I suppose we're, as a people and as a country, I don't want to belong to any country that treats any, anybody in a in less than humane fashion. So, we're giving people who have been forced to come here enough to live on, so that they're not starving and their children aren't starving, which, I mean, if we can't do that, then we should be closing our churches immediately for a start because we're, we're nothing as people. Um, they're not the, the type of person... The majority of the people who are critical of what newcomers to our country get are not working with the people here who are disadvantaged either. I, I think I find, and you find through your job, that those who are working with Ukrainians are also working with homeless people here or different charities here. You're either a helper or you're not a helper. So are they treated generously, more generously than in other countries? They're treated in the same line that we would treat people who were born here. So, yes, because for, for Irish people, for Indigenous Irish people, we try, I know we fail an awful lot of the time, we try very hard to make sure everybody is helped, that no child goes to bed hungry, that everyone has an education, access to a doctor. And we're treating the new people who've come to live here in the same fashion. So is that better possibly than than indigenous Spanish people are treated in their own country? Yeah, possibly. I think we, we're a very humane people, but, but the, people, the new residents aren't getting anything more than the existing res- residents are getting. Yeah, well, as I say, what, what, when it came 
to me face to face with with these people and how you know mm. it certainly wasn't silver service or, no. or, or anything like it. And one one image will remain with me. It was of a particularly old woman, oh, and and she yeah. was sitting on her own, and and she was eating the, the this food. And I I really felt for her. Now I was feeling sorry for myself on oh, the no. night as well for other reasons, but um, I really oh. felt for her because she was on her own. And yeah. I said, you know, like maybe if people could see the likes of that, maybe yeah. maybe they think a little differently. If, if they met people face to face, because I yeah. think even even the most vociferous of protesters, and I, I do understand it. I think if you're feeling disenfranchised and you think you've been waiting your whole life and somebody swoops in, I'm never getting why they've swooped in here. Mm. And as you said, they're not seeing the reality of it. I've been in the community settings, and whilst they're very adequate and they're done as, with as much heart as they can be, I don't want to be living there. I don't want my dinner put in front of me, which is, and, and that sounds really ungrateful. I don't mean that, but I mean, I have choices. Mm. I can go to the freezer tonight. I can say, oh, do I want a bit of chicken? Do I want a bit of this? Or will I go to the shop? To have that choice taken away from you. You know, it's not like on holiday where you're there for a week. And you and I both know, you come back off holiday having had lovely meals and that, and all you want is made on toast yeah, in yeah. your own kitchen yeah. and your own cup of tea. None of that is, is permissible. There are no fridges in rooms. There are no little cookers in rooms. There are no kettles in many of them. You've got children. Our diet is substantially different to that in Ukraine. Um, there's been a lot of getting used to things. So, yes, if people knew people rather than thinking about the mass of people, Yes, I, I can't see anybody sitting alongside the lady you've just described and, and, and holding up a placard in her face and saying, go home, you're not welcome here, yeah, you know, I, we have I, no room for you. I, I couldn't take my hands off her on, on the night. Uh, I would have loved to have known her story. Um, and uh, the, again, the people would come to you and say, Kate, well, that's all fine and very well, but look, we have our own homeless here mm-hmm. and it's it's a mess where housing is concerned and yeah. health is concerned and all of that. And you, what what do you say there, Kate? Okay, well, we'll just sit down and watch them die because that's the alternative. It's right. as stark as that. Like, I, I don't know, I, I, I presume I, I, I can... From what you've said, I can imagine how you're feeling, how we're all feeling watching the news from the Middle East. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to go into yeah. that. Yeah. But we're seeing people who are trapped, and we're there as, as humans, and we're seeing children, maybe our own children's age, or people we relate to and going, gosh, they can't get out of that. And we know by the time the next news bulletin rolls around, they're dead. So there are alternatives. Now, in that situation, there is no alternative. They can't get out, and, and so I'm going to pardon that. But we had an alternative here to do something that, that I suppose we've always said, um, oh gosh, the Second World War, it was awful. We saw what happened. We saw what happened because they the death camps. We saw this, but we couldn't do anything about it because there wasn't the communication and there wasn't the, the newsreels weren't there and all that. So we had, a, we had an out, but I think we've all felt as humans that gosh, if we had known what was going on, we would have stepped in and done something about it. So now we do know what's going on. We do know people are being slaughtered. We do know they're being obliterated. Their homes are being blown up. And we do have the choice to do something about it. Is it inconvenient for us? Absolutely. Does it mean that I can't possibly see my doctor within half an hour's notice that I might have to wait a day because there are 87 Ukrainians in my doctor's surgery because he's a doctor? He could be able to help people and he will help people. Does, so does that mean I have to, to wait a little bit longer? Possibly. But isn't that part of isn't isn't that part of the human experience? Isn't it? Aren't we all treated by how we treat the, the the more vulnerable in our world? You know, when we talk about our own, well, who's our own? Is, is, is everybody not our own? 
And do you have a fear, because I certainly do, that, that this proposal is political in some way, that it's playing oh, part? Okay. Yeah. It, and it, it's nonsensical. So we're talking about the cloud cuckoo land here. I mean, this is utopia. Like a pledge properties. Oh, they, 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 the one I laughed when I read it, you know, oh, they'll be, it, it was like they'll be forced to live in pledge properties. And I was laughing. But I was saying, what, you're going to be forcing people to live with their own front door and their own roof where they can cook their own dinner. They take your hand off it. We're not tripping over pledge properties. I, I can tell you, I, I won't because I wouldn't break confidence, but the number of families that moved into pledge properties in Cork last week. And, and I, I, that's not even one handful. You know, people, they're, they're, they're not there. And, and I, they'd be only too, people would be only delighted, the majority. Not all of them. The community settings are working very well for some people because they've made their own de facto families. They've made their own communities there. People are very resilient. And I take my hat off to them. I met a woman last week. She moved here with four children. She had a fifth last week. You, you riddle me that one in a foreign country living in a room. And this is this is this is how people think they're winning. Do you not think she wants to be at home with her mum and dad around her, have family, the kids in their own school, tell them she's got four children, two teenagers. Um very traumatized. You know, this is this is no walk in the park. So is it political, is it semantic, is it optics? For me it is because what they're looking for I think is well meant, but we know, you know, everybody knows. The past is out there. So it's a bit of a new point, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's that's uh, for sure. Kate, it was really good to talk to you today. We appreciate you your time. Thank you, you so too. much. And I hope, and I hope that lady uh, finds someone to eat her dinner with. Yeah, I hope so too. As oh, I say, yeah. I was really taken with her, and I, I'd love oh. to have known her story, you know. But uh, there you yeah. go. Thanks, Kate. Thank you. God bless. Good bye morning bye. to you. Thank bye. you. Bye bye, you. Now it's Kate uh, Durant there of the Community Response Forum. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double oh seven. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecan, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Now, Peter is a Ukrainian man living in Clonmel. You might recognise him from Peter K. Barbers in Clonmel. Peter, good morning to you. Hello. And How are you? I'm very well indeed and good to talk to you today. You came here from Ukraine but quite some time ago, uh, before the war, Peter. Yes, that's 23 years ago. And I have a program by University for learning English with fine experience and planning only for one year. I'm here 23, so nice country. Very good indeed. And uh, t- tell me about these proposals then. Uh, by the way, the, the Ukrainian people that are coming here because of the war, are you meeting lots of them, Peter? Yes, uh, I see lots of people and I'm uh, by my job to have people coming to make haircut and i chatting with many of them who come and uh, have many reasons. The most reason is when you not have house and something... Uh, happen in that area where it's rockets coming up all the time. People scare and people have lose their houses. So that's uh, many different people uh, with many different shape of life what is broken in the moment. And I was speaking to Kate just a while ago and I'm wondering if you believe the same. The, the Ukrainian people that you're speaking to, your fellow 
countrymen and women, do, is it a case that they're, they're here just because of the war that they prefer to go back home? Is that, is that fair to say, Peter? Uh, no, look, uh, that people, what I know, is everyone is different. You can be, must be understand, have somebody who want to be changed life. But I say uh, in Ukraine, uh, before war, will be, if you take statistics, you can be see Ukraine start to live much better. And many people, what I know, who come in here, he's be happy at home. Uh, by that war, he's uh, start to be common. And I told you, uh, one year, two years ago, uh, ago before war, as uh, we have the open the gate for union, uh, the Polish, Italy, or Germany, yes. and who want to go somewhere already is go, already go for war or something like this. Uh, by that war, is lots of people coming. That is not his choice. That is just pressure by situation. And who's care? For example, my cousin still at home. He's fighting in Ukraine military. And he's to be at home. And part of rocket fall off on the floor down where is his, where is his apartment. And that is three kids and wife and him. They fly from bed still ceiling. That is part from rocket. So you see, uh, very tough to say how you safety. He's uh, maybe 800 kilometers from the war, from the, uh, where is the main line fighting. 800 kilometers, and you not safety. So people who really serious, uh, um, just scare about that, mm. about yeah. own kids or about own life. But I don't, uh, I think it's a lot of people who is already here. Is uh, just if we war be finished, it is become back. So that's what how I'm here. What people talking? And how do you feel about this major shift in government policy? Then that uh, putting a time limit on the accommodation um, of people coming in here from Ukraine, and after that, then they have to find their own accommodation or possibly go back home. I suppose. What, what do you make of that, Peter? Like, you see, no, I can say nothing from the government because uh, I think that guys see the uh, demographic crisis much uh, uh, real story. You see how many people work, how many people retired, mm. how many people need to be work for future. So all these people in the future behind anyway is coming to work and something like this if want to be stay. So I don't know what the plan for government about these people. He's uh, still... Uh, uh, war is be finished. How long be that? You see, people from Ukraine can be. He can be sitting. Uh, he want to be work. That people no like sitting. Okay, have maybe some protest. Maybe who is retired or something like this. Yes. Disability or something like. But that's usual story. But rest of people working hard at home and know how can work. That is what is different between Russian, I say Ukrainian. These people know how make business and how live in that story where there's no money. And I think that people, if the government changed the law, he's busy what need to do in that story. Looking for a job, looking for house, or looking for ticket for home. And that is uh, manage of government. If government changed the program, so that's BBC what be happening. But I don't think so. These people, we go to the social and be sitting. I think everyone... Uh, want to live and want work uh, because that is a natural of Ukrainian feel. It needs working. <laughs> he's wake up already. He's ready for work. Ready for work. Ready that for is work. life. Make these people like this. Like that's why in Ukraine life is start to be much better. Like in Russia, because people take it uh, power in own hand. 
is not vacant when government do something. People start to do on self. If he needs water in a village, he makes this water in a village. For example, like if you can be maybe see the video, for example, we take it Ukrainian. Every house in Ukraine have own, I mean, we're talking about a kind village uh, town or something. Like yes. Every house have own water. No main water from government. Own water. So own they, pipe. they do it for themselves. Yes, he's, yes. he's not wait when government make this line. He see line couple 10 kilometers from village. He said, check the money, okay, we take the money. Okay, how much this pipe? Order the builders, build this pipe, drop it money between each other, and after that have water. And no wait when government to do this. That's Ukrainian. All right, Peter. He's not we... wait when somebody do something. He's the responsibility of himself. So till government have this program, these people feel like this. When government change mind, people will start to be thinking how we'll live and forever what need come back or come back. If, because mm. I think there are lots of people, most I say, is they know what, uh, how we'll be, how, how we'll live and what need to do. All right, All sir. people forever. Peter, um, it was most interesting to get uh, your your angle on this. And thank you very much indeed for coming on with us and playing into what Peter is saying there. 15,171 Ukrainians are currently in active uh, employment here, uh, the highest concentration, as you can imagine, in the in the hospitality uh, industry. Um, a lot of people disagreeing with uh, Kate and uh, just to, to sort of add up some of these uh, contributions to say basically that they're they're disagreeing and they're saying that uh, a lot of uh, Ukrainians here in the lap of luxuries is one of uh, the listeners and it's pointing to certain hotels and how well looked after uh, they are. There was one that said, um, let me just find this for a moment. Oh yeah, Fran, are Ukrainian people here entitled to any benefits from Ukraine such as children's allowance like we pay to people in other countries? My understanding is is no, that all the benefits are coming from the state uh, here. And uh, somebody else making the point about Ukrainians going back on holiday. Now, I know that there's been recent changes in the policy that have seen restrictions on the length of time Ukrainians can be absent from uh, accommodation. And uh, those who leave hotels for prolonged periods uh, risk losing their space, barring exceptional circumstances where that is uh, concerned. 083-311-3311. Now, we were speaking to Teresa about her experience with a ring from a barn brack. We got a great reaction to that. It spurred a lot of memories in uh, people. And Joan joins me now. Joan, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. And good, good to talk to you today. Some memories coming back to you, Joan. Yeah, I was listening to you yesterday. I was driving the highways and I was listening to you speaking about the bracks and the ring and all of that and brought back lovely, happy memories, I have to say. Thank God for that. Yeah, all the and, games, uh, I guess. Is it, the uh, games. Yeah. Yeah, we, had, we had Blind Man's Buff or Blind Man's Bluff, whichever you want to call it, where you covered your eyes with the scarf and then somebody twirled you around and then you had to go around the room or the kitchen, as it was in my case, and try and touch somebody else so that they get get their eyes covered. And it was great fun. And, you know, when I'm thinking back on it now, as a child, of course, I thought the kitchen was huge, you know, and everybody, I couldn't find anybody and all the rest of it. But sure, it was a small enough space, like, yeah. you know, but it was the whole fun of it, you know. And then the apple hanging from the ceiling and oh, your hands no, be tied yeah. behind your back and you'd be trying to grab these apples. You know, there's innocence of it and the fun that we had. I, I did these games with my own children and they loved them. And as regards, the, you know, the 
trick or treat. That hadn't reached the Slivar the Hills in my time, and I'm sure it's there now. But it wasn't there in my time. Was it not, Joan? Okay. No, it wasn't. I I, I thought that was an import, all right, from America, their version of Halloween, you know. Oh, God alone knows where it came from, but I think a lot of it is a lot of crap. Be honest, do you? Yeah. You know, I do. You see, I'm back to the family. You see, my importance in life is family, and I think most people would be if they were to stop and think about it instead of trying to keep up with the Joneses, be the Joneses, you know, and have your own life and have your family and do things with your family and your children instead of dressing them up in the dearest costumes they can afford, sending them out, knocking on doors. Keep them at home and play games with them. Let them be a very precious look at the memories I have. Because I was at home playing these games, you know. My father loved Hugh Cormac's Brack. Now, here's a bit of social history. Mm. Hugh Cormac's Bakery was in Killen, I'm sorry, in, um, down the road from us in Boulia. And uh, they had a fine bakery there. They used to make bread. But they had this huge, big, round brack. And my late father, God rest him, he loved that brack. And there'd be a ring in it. And I know there was a lady on earlier talking about the dangers yeah. of it. There was a ring and there was a sixpence. Well, we'd be sick as a dog eating this brat <laughs> to try and get... We didn't care about the ring too much, but we wanted the sixpence, obviously, course, yes, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because when it came to the night time, you had the basin of water, but there was ever only a penny in the bottom of it. But you still ducked your head down and you tried to grip the penny with your teeth because it meant a penny bar, you know? And you could go out to Brennan's or Taylor's, as it was in the time, and get great. your penny back. And, and Joan, you know? tell me tell me about the ghost stories, because you mentioned Kitty the yeah. Hare. God, that's, that's bringing right. me back so many I'm memories. I'm you. Well, oh, you see, also in those days, then, you'd have the people we'd call a Kurdik, you'd mm. call it. Kurdik. Yep. And they used to be people would come in, the neighbours would come in, and they'd be, after the games then, it would be the time to sit around and tell the ghost stories. And they used to be telling ghost stories. And I remember the Ireland Zone, and we used to read in Kitty the Hare, the travelling woman of monsters was known as. And she would be petrified going into bed, like, you know. And you'd be wanting the light on. And back in them days, in the earlier days, we didn't have electricity. It was a tilly lamp. We had a tilly lamp. And, you know... I mean, I think those are fantastic memories. Wouldn't I only love for the children today to be able to think like I'm thinking and remember, have memories like I have. So is that, is that your advice to parents in this, this week of Halloween then? To play, play the games, play the old games, tell yeah, the old stories. The old yeah. Tell the old stories and yeah. have that precious time with it. Because they're not going to, all they're going to remember about trick and treat is how sick they were the next day. Because that's all it's happening in fairness and reality. You know, and I, I remember one man come and just come to Cordic and he used to bring those apples. And uh, Cordic, that was visiting, that was visiting, wasn't it? Oh, visiting, it? From, yeah, 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 the visit, yeah. as we call it now, visiting. But yeah. anyway, we, we called it what it was in the day. Yeah. And I remember this particular man, and my mother just said to my father when he'd be coming in, Oh, for Christ's sake, don't put on a big fire because you do, we'll never get rid of him. He'll stay all night. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and, and that was said with oh, kindness. Pretty... I know, was, you know, I know. No yeah. ballast whatsoever yeah. in it, you know, yeah. of any kind, creed or colour, you know. And then at the end of the night, you might have a few more people coming in, Kurdik, and they might be able to play a bit of music, and then we'd all have a bit of dancing. And when you think back, and when you compare that with dressing your child in all this trash, sending out knocking on doors, bringing home sweets, and being as sick as a dog and looking for Shannon Doc the following night, <laughs> I mean, there you are. These are a good, healthy, yes. clean, old-fashioned fun. And you're making and would, memories. And making memories. memories. And my yeah. wish would be for children that today would have the beautiful, innocent memories 
that I treasure so much. Well, That's all I'm saying. Well, well said to you, Joan. Well said mm-hmm. indeed. And a happy Halloween to you, Joan. Thank you and so you much. And you as for well. That. Thank Not you, Joan. Thank you. Bye bye. That's uh, Joan. Lovely memories there. And uh, not fond of uh, the 2023 version of uh, Halloween is our Joan. Um, All right, we'll take a break. We're back with more. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. And you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Delighted to be joined now by our uh, interior designer, Karen Prendergast. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning. And you come bearing gifts because you have a fantastic... Could you call this a mood board? Well, I made a mood board from photographs that I took at the Ideal Homes exhibition in the RDS on Saturday because... I've been there and I've seen it and then I'm trying to have a discussion with you and I thought the best thing to do now is take some nice pictures for him of the stands that I thought were interesting and we can talk about them and I've lots of questions and to get time to answer them. some of the photographs here are absolutely wonderful. Some way over the top, outrageous, all of that kind of thing. You were saying that's the point, is it? it I think that's in. the point. Um, first of all, um, it was in the RDS. The trongs and trongs and trongs. It took us an hour in the care to get in to get parking. It was down in Simmons Court, not in the main yes. hall. And the trongs and trongs and trongs of people coming from all roads into it and inside there, it just tells you the amount of interest people have in interiors. It was a huge success. But trongs and trongs of all ages. Right. Everybody's so, so interested in, in all of this. What stood out for you, Karen? I mean, because, uh, like, what you, I presume somebody like you, you'll take ideas from this. You'll take a bit from a- this and a bit from Absolutely. You know, and it? I mean, the thing was, people say, you know, oh, did you need to go? Like, I need to go to keep current, to keep, yeah. know, to know what's maybe coming on down the line, to see what people are interested. It was great for me to go and see what stands were busy, what stands weren't busy. Um, there was, um, ask the experts, they were interior designers and architects giving help. There was also um, a colour, one of the colour companies, the paint companies, they had a colour stand there, they were giving out help. The Ask the Experts stand was booked out all day. Wasn't I indeed. did that one or two years. Yeah. I was I was helping out, you know, giving advice there and um, for a few hours and you get a few hours as a slot and that was a great success. Am I right in thinking, Karen, that the common denominator appears to be wallpaper is very much back, isn't it? And again, we're talking about how to attract people to your sense. So wallpaper was very much back. I passed one interior design company and I came around the car. I, I passed them on the way down and I came back up designedly. Um, my husband had met a friend and he was talking to him and I said, do you mind me asking, is that wallpaper fabric? Because it was a scene and um, it was wallpaper indeed but a very expensive wallpaper that's sold by the meter but it was fantastic and she said that wallpaper stroke that looked like a fabric type of fabric caught so many people's attention and I said to her I hope you get a bit of business out of the stand Mm. because I said I'm an interior designer and we swap cards then and whatever and I said I was taken by that wallpaper and that's what you're looking for at the show so going back Mm. to the question that you asked me yeah we've a lot of pink here haven't we we've a lot of pink we've a lot of peaches Um, so the stands need to have a little bit of drama to them Mm. to get the attention to get get people in now there's the bathroom there I was saying I wouldn't like 
that. Would you, would you just describe the, the one yeah, with the, so the, the tiling the, the that appears The tile in the bottom is very kind of, busy, isn't it's it? Like a, it's like you threw paint at it, yeah, isn't it? All different yeah. colours. And the top then is a wood effect tile, but it's in um, a deep peach. So I would say that deep peachy colour um, is something like maybe a fox mount or Tuscan tile of a colour chart here in front of me. So Foxford or Tuscan tile. Mm. But as I was saying to you, the radiator on in that picture is quite expensive. The vanity unit, the um, the, the mirror with the, the light and the whole lot, though. that's probably yeah. four or five hundred euros in the tiles the as well. Alone. Yeah. So they're again they're drawing attention to that was a, a bathroom company selling the wear. So they're drawing attention to their bathroom to okay. the bathroom, but to get you in to look at it, the wear. It's a little outrageous uh, of to, it is. to, to yeah. get you in. Yeah. yeah. But again, you probably would take one idea from that or two ideas Absolutely from that. and that if it? I if I hadn't seen maybe the vanity unit um in a in in a shop if it wasn't on display I I would have loved that you know so again it's to get the people in to get them looking at their products that are on the stand and the display is just a way to yes. get them interested and get them in the door I love the wall bed because for somebody with with only a, a tight amount again, of space if you if you have an apartment <clears throat> if you've got a small bedroom if you've got a a small room um, that covers as an office and maybe, you know, a home study mm. or whatever. It's a wall bed. So the wall, the bed comes down from a unit and it pushes back up mm. and you're finished again. But, so great but it, idea. it doesn't look like a sort of a makey uppy bed. I mean, it looks It lovely, looks good. It looks it? good. Yeah. And um, I was listening to the owner. I wasn't talking to him. I was listening to the owner explaining um, that whole picture. So at either side, they've added on extra... Um, um, Storage on yes, either side. Yeah. Some is open, some is closed. So you get the bed, the wall bed on its own, and then you can add um, storage solutions either side if you wanted as yes. well. But a great idea because so many people are using rooms as dual purpose. And another common denominator that that sort of jumps out at me is the mood lighting, and you often talk about the importance of lighting. But some gorgeous lighting ideas as you well. You know, again, they? some gorgeous, gorgeous lighting ideas. And I've just finished um, a project that I've been on for quite a while. And when we, I, and I often say this to everybody, you know, when we come to the end of a budget in the, the house, and we're after doing up maybe some rooms or a whole house, and we're starting to not run out of money but the budget is gone mm. even because I'm dealing with people who have lots of money but the budget is the budget and we don't go over budget so it's great to be able to buy lighting that doesn't cost the earth because one lighting fitting can often be 500 euros upwards mm. so it's to be cute about your lighting but I think the lighting in all of those the lighting is oh I what, think so too what, yes what brings you in would you describe my, my favourite bedroom now it looks like a very expensive hotel Bedroom. So what it is, it's wall panelling that you can buy in packs, okay? So the, the lets go onto your existing wall. That particular one is painted a dark green. And again, you've just got a basic bed that's dressed nicely, two lockers, two gorgeous lamps. But I think the appeal to that is the floor is simple, but the colour on the walls yes. is exquisite. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, the lights... And again, the lights. Beautiful, so again, there, um, yeah. maybe not a lot of money for the lighting, but um, whoever designed that room was thinking simplicity and elegance and not too much. Right. Now, if we uh, if we take these rooms that uh, that you have here, and it's pity, pity people can't see what, what's in front of me here, but I, you couldn't have a room like those in isolation. The rest of the house would have to reflect that. What, or, or am I wrong about you, you that? No, Karen? you're dead right, because, again, we could... And, and I have some questions to answer that keep coming up and time and time again today and, and that's one of the questions I would say for Angie or take. 
when you're thinking about painting a room, even if you're not painting other rooms in the house, you have to take the whole house yes. as yeah. one. And again, if you're going to put a pink and peach room inside in your house, and it is maybe it's outrageous, but it might be taking stories from other play other areas of the house. But going crazy in isolation, as I'm always saying, with especially with a suite of furniture or something that's going to cost a lot of money, often doesn't work out. It often, often doesn't work out. So planning is essential. Right. But those rooms, some of them stand out because, as I said, it was it was an ideal homes exhibition and there had to be some drama. Right. And if somebody is thinking of doing up the house or maybe with the new house or whatever, you would highly recommend something like that because a lot of these happen around the country, these exhibitions. Of course they do. Yeah. And, I mean, there's some really good shops locally and you can go in and you can see the room set out anyway. Yes. So it takes away, it takes away, what do I say, it gives you an idea of what you really like. So if you keep going back to the same couch or two and you're bypassing all the other ones, well, you know, that's the kind of look that I want from my room. But it's, it is very handy always to bring your measurements, your, your floor space plan with you. Draw it out on a piece of paper, bring it with you, um, have your window dimension so it's, uh, even a couple of pictures on your phone because people in the stores are very, very helpful. But they're not going to be helpful if you don't ask for the help. Right, of course, yes. But I, I, I would counsel that even if you love something in a showroom, make sure it's the right thing for your, your living make room. Make sure it's the I'm, right thing. I make sure was that soldier. It make sure it's something that you like, that you're going to be happy with. Make sure that it fits. fits. And make yeah. sure my one question to everybody when I'm talking about a couches or a dining area or a living room or a sitting room, how many bums and seats do we need? So, all these L couches are really in and the whole lot and I'm going into houses and there's five people in the sitting room. There is no way an L couch is going to take five people. Realistically, it's going to take two, maybe three. So, bums and seats, we haven't got enough of we right. haven't got enough of space. So then we're looking at bringing in different types of chairs, maybe Queen Anne style chairs, maybe more modern single chairs. Maybe if you have a nail style, if you're thinking, and I would say 70% of people think they want a nail style, a nail shaped couch, you may not have room for two more armchairs in that room with that L. Right, so uh, all Planning. of that must be must be taken into account. Uh, a couple of questions, if you would, Karen. What colour should I paint my kitchen cupboard, uh, cupboards even? I'm unsure how to pick the colour for the wall also. Any tips on coordinating the two together? It's a good question, isn't it's it? It's a great question. Yeah. So um, what's very popular at the moment, and I think it's a, it's, it's a great idea, is painting your wall colour the same colour as your kitchen presses. So I often talk about subtle here. It's a great colour. It's one of the new colours out in the colour charts from the kitchen companies. But obviously they don't say it's that. Mm. It's the, that's the mm. colour, but it is the colour. And it's a great colour. So if you were wanted something very classical, subtle or powdered shell is a great colour and use the same colour on the walls. But because you're using an eggshell or a satin wood paint on your kitchen units, it's ever so brighter and shinier than the wall. So it nearly automatically looks like a different colour because it's a different type of paint okay. on the walls to the presses. How you're going to enhance your presses is you're going to enhance your presses by the doorknobs, the handles, maybe a Roman blind or roller blind over the, the sink and the whole lot. That's where you're going to bring in your colour. So it's often much better to play it safe. All right. Uh, you mentioned blinds. We could dedicate an entire programme to, to, to window to dressing, could, as, yeah. as they say. Um, somebody else says, I have a small room, but um, uh, want to go a deeper colour on the walls. I'm using it as a den and a chill-out room. Uh, room. Any suggestions will be very uh, welcome. P.S. I want to build an, an alcove 
on either side of the fireplace and should I paint them the same colour as well? well let's deal with the room first of all so I think a chill out room sometimes people like it a little bit deeper than your standard colours um, so a very good colour that I've used lately I, I have it in my own house actually is schoolhouse green mm. it's absolutely now, gorgeous now if people google we have to repeat this every week if people google the name they'll get yeah, the colour and another one yeah. which is very nice and I say you'd like it too is Book of Kells Oh, that's lovely, isn't it? It's gorgeous. It's yeah. very, it's a very soothing, soft green, and it's really, really good. So that's another grey colour. Um, the blues are good as well, but the greens, and I know we've talked a lot, and we see them again in the colour, in the mm. mood boards. Yeah. It's, it's really in. So I think um, maybe Book of Kells would be a great one. Again, you could paint your units the same colour and maybe do a darker colour on the back of the units. Oh, on yeah, the yeah, back yeah. wall of the unit. Okay. So not on the unit itself, but on the back wall. So go something maybe a little bit more dramatic and dark there. You could do something maybe like Raglan Road would be lovely mm. with that green. There it is there, friend. Oh, yeah, it's very dark, isn't it's it? It's very dark, very but it'd be very dark, nice yeah. and moody, you know. And um, and the notion <coughs> of the alcoves beside the fireplaces and wondering about whether or not they should be the same colour. Yeah, so I'm thinking maybe, again, you could do them the same colour, but maybe go something like the Raglan Road then in the back of the alcoves and that'll, that'll give you your two bring dimensions. It out. Okay, uh, final one, if you would. I'm about to paint my hallway. Should I go light or dark colour on the walls? I would love to do something a little bit different. Again... Great colours are um, subtle, oyster bed, uh, powdered shell. But I would think maybe go a bright colour, but introduce some really nice art. So maybe some black and white frames. You know, some black frames and black and white prints would be gorgeous. Look at your lighting. Often in hallways, there's never, ever enough lighting. So looking, look at changing your lighting fittings. If you have um, spotlights there and they're old, update them to more modern spotlights they'll be more energy efficient but also they'll give you better light and add a few lamps to create ambience but I think in a hallway it's always about mm. the lamps the mood lighting good lighting down the hall if it's a bungalow and definitely plenty of art And is the hall table still in? Oh yeah, the, absolutely the notion of yeah. A, the And they come table. in all dips so if you've got a, a very narrow hall I, when I had the shop I used to sell them all day long you right. know, narrow tables for hallways and if you have a bungalow and you don't have any light down the end which most bungalows mm. don't mm. get yourself a narrow table with a lamp on it and a mirror over it and that will reflect a load oh, of light Oh, that's a very hall. good idea That's a very good and idea And if you don't have if you don't have, I've done it before in my own house, if you don't have a plug at the end of the hall, because if we're talking older bungalows, the mm. chance that they designed there was no plug, I just, um, um, dr I drilled the hole through, took off the head of the plug and plugged it into the bedroom beside. So there was nothing dangerous okay. about it. So I was able to go into the bedroom behind it immediately right. and plug it in. Oh, that's very so clever. So it saved me getting an electrician. That's very clever indeed. Okay. If people want to talk to you, Karen, how, how uh, can they do My that? telephone number is 086 606-9009 that's 086-606-9009 Facebook, Instagram and interiorconcepts.ie um, is my webpage is my right. page. Great to see you as always Karen Thank thanks very, very much. much indeed. News and information is coming up Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Puck On You can't beat experience With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans We like to call ourselves the experts Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today 067 24111 Or slatterysgarage.ie This Tip today 
with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, fuck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, fuck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Gourmina Mahogu Pat and uh, welcome along to the final hour of Tip Today. You can uh, call Ali 1800-938-007. That's a free phone number. You can text in WhatsApp 083-311-3311. It's been just over a year since the tragic and sudden death of Dylan Quirk at Semple Stadium. Broke the hearts of everybody in Tipperary. But since then, his family has led a, an inspirational campaign to make sure that other young players are screened for cardiac problems. And I have no doubt they're Trojan work will save many uh, lives. I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by Dylan's uh, dad, Dan. Good morning to you, Dan. Good morning, Frank. And thanks so much indeed for, for coming into us today. I wonder even, you know, I was in the middle of reading that introduction and I said, is that is that like a knife in the heart? I mean, when I speak about Dylan's death, is, is that... I don't know, is it like a knife in the heart? Um, it's still very raw. Is and it? obviously yeah. it's, it's going to take time, but... We like to talk about him. I like to talk to people about him. So I wouldn't say it's like a knife in the heart. It's just, it's, it's the new life for us. Yes. And we've got to accept that now and do the best we can. Um, you were saying, I, I read several interviews that, uh, that you gave, Dan, and the foundation that you put together after Dylan's death, you found solace in that. that... I did, yeah, I did, because, uh, well, obviously when Dylan passed, there was a big void, a huge void, and... I don't know how it, how it happened that we came upon this idea to start a foundation, but people came to me and said, you know, he was, he was a great young man and he was a hero to many. And for some reason, we came up with the idea of a foundation to help screen young kids from 8 from 12 years of age, boys and girls upwards, because there's two, lost, two lives being lost a week, 100 lives a year. That's just phenomenal. And unfortunately, people and parents and young, young kids don't realise that. So we felt it would be great if we, could, if we could do something to help that and bring the numbers down. And we're well on our way to starting now, Fran. And you didn't realise that until after Dylan's death? No, we'd no idea. We'd no idea. We got some help from a, 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 comp- a crowd called Cry, who help people that have lost their children. And they came to us maybe four weeks after dinner and passed to see if they could help us in any way with counselling or screening. We also, all of us got screened and thank God we were all okay. So they gave us the information and we were just gobsmacked. So we said, we have to do something. And, and that's why we started. And, and uh, inspirational campaign indeed. Where are you now with the screening? I mean, how far along the road are we going? Well, they, we didn't get our, our charitable status Four weeks ago, with our charitable status, and that was we couldn't do anything. We had, we had we'd, we'd started the journey, and we had funds raised, but we're now starting a pilot scheme in Clonolty in the Dylan Quirk GA grounds on the tenth of November. That'll be a pre a pre pilot scheme just to see if we make mistakes, where we can improve, and so on. And then we're going to move out out to Nina and Thurles on the tenth of December, and once that's up and going, then we hope to hit countrywide from the first of January. What, what do you say to people who say that, I mean, the work you're doing is fantastic and commendable, but it's the work that the sporting organisation should be doing, I suppose, then? Yeah, that's true. Look, it, it is a bit disappointing, Fran, that the GA, maybe our, the GA hierarchy, don't take this on board. We've got huge support from the likes of GPA, Tom Parsons, his group have been great to us, GA clubs all over the country. All, all the, lo- the, lo- the lower the G- communities in the different counties are very keen on doing something. But unfortunately, at this stage, Croke Park haven't taken that on board. But we would hope that once we start the screening and they start seeing the success, that they'll come on board and take it to 
the top level which which needs to happen. Not only are they not coming on board, but I mean, there was a whole controversy around the the jerseys and all of that nonsense. Yeah, well. sure. Look, it, it was nonsense. Absolutely, it was nonsense. Uh, it's hard to understand why that ever happened, but in hindsight, maybe that helped the foundation away because people came in behind us in a big, big way. And I think the, we, we grossed 150k in the first six months of jersey sales, which is great. And the jerseys are still being sold online, and it's it's, it's been a great success. So, look, funny the way things happened. It it, it didn't in any way make our situation worse. It probably improved the situation and we tried to do the best we can from there. Yeah, because the controversy around it had everybody talking. It had everybody course, talking. You know. It had, yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. But it still didn't move minds. No, it didn't. I didn't. And I, like, I don't know how, the, how it works in Crow Park, but as I said, the, the, all, the, all the counties in Ireland have helped us in, in many, many ways. Many fundraisers in every corner of the, of the country, which is brilliant. So I think once you, have, once you have the people at the bottom level, at grassroots level, it's what the GAs and our community is all about. And we want to help people. And someone said to me, if you can't help somebody, what's life about? So that's what we're going to do going on. Which is which is fantastic. Is there anything else coming up that we should know about? I mean, you spoke about the screening, but is there anything else by way of fundraising? Not really, no. We had a great fundraiser there last weekend in Killarney. It was called A Day for Dylan, a big GA. A big, it was a, a golf do a great couple of days we raised between 80 and 100,000 and that and look not even Jay the likes of Sam Curling was a horse trainer in Ballackton Skinner Stables Sam did an open day he raised 35k and many friends of mine had got, have got classics David Ryan the former player and John Kennedy Conor Ryan Francis Dubai ran a golf classic in Dublin raised 50,000 so it's happening all over the country so and it's continued to happen big fundraisers small fundraisers but it all it all makes a difference and the bottom line is we need to raise awareness so being on the show today, it raises more awareness. But I suppose I'd have to say the people of Tipperary and your own listeners have been phenomenal in the support they've given to both the family and the foundation. And I was reading about support around the country, I mean, even Northern Ireland. Every, I mean, everybody got behind Yeah, it. everybody. Uh, everybody. It's great. Particularly yeah. Northern Ireland have been very strong. You have a, an organisation an up there called the Cormac Trust. Yes. Cormac Nell obviously passed away in 2004. Yeah. And they do great work, and they've been in contact with us. So we, when we start screening, we're, when we go to North, we will start in Tyrone in Cormac's home county because they've been asking us to help in any way possible. So and like I said, what they've done is they've brought in defibrillators all over Northern Ireland. So we're going to do something different. So they're glad to help, and it's all going to save lives, and it's all awareness. Dylan's name is very much out there now, and it's out there along with the foundation. My only fear about that is sometimes you might lose the essence of who he was. I mean, who who, who was he, Dan? Oh, who was he? Where will I start? Dylan was a fun-loving, lovely, beautiful son, a great uh, brother to Shannon and Kelly, and a beautiful son to Hazel and myself. He was great fun. He was great to train. He knew what he wanted in life. He had his own apartment in Cashel. He had a house in Torres. And he, on the evening he passed away on the Friday, the, f- the, f- the following Monday, he was going in for planning for his own house near us at home. So... He was able to mix it any way you want to mix it. And he was a leader on the field. And he was probably a, a goodest leader. And I, we'd be as proud of his achievements off the field as we were on the field. And was it hurling, 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 was it? It was. But he loved all sports because yeah. we, we travelled all over the country and all over the world to rugby matches. Yeah. He was a United supporter, Man United like I am. And he's a monster in Ireland. And we went to New Zealand with the All Blacks. But he loved hurling. And he loved hurling for his club particularly. And he was captain the year he passed. And things might have worked out differently if he was there. But look, that's what happens. But he was just a great, great son. You mentioned New Zealand, and I know that was a particularly special time, and all the more special now because it was you and him. That's right, Jerry. Yeah. We gave three weeks in New Zealand, and we went to eight matches, and 
we met great people from all over the world and he absolutely he was thrilled with that he loved it loved every bit of it because yeah. he, he was great fun so I mean, he, uh, he made friends easily because I know you were speaking about the Scottish uh, people. yeah he, yeah that's <laughs> right he met he met five guys in their seventies and they were staunch Rangers supporters and they taught him stories and. They really enjoyed him. We actually met them, I'd say, out of the 21 nights, we met him 15 or 16 nights for dinner, which was great. And he loved it, and they loved him. But he had a way about him he could mix with an 8-year-old or an 8-year-old, and that's a great attribute to have in any person, I guess, but he was very good at that. You were speaking as well to me, Dan, about how you all deal, I suppose, with your grief differently. I mean, you mentioned the girls have, have a different way of dealing. Yeah, they have a different, they have a different way. I mean, the foundation is, is great. And sometimes it can be overwhelming. And it's, it's probably what I try to do is keep it away from Shannon and Kelly and Hazel as much as possible. Because, it, as I said, it can be overwhelming. Shannon is in Australia with her boyfriend, Ronan T, and from Gurtnahu. And they're getting on great there. We hope to go over at Christmas to see him. Kelly's in her final year in college in UCC doing maths and P and she's a great partner in Owen Morris from Holy Cross and Hazel is the rock of the family at home which is brilliant but I so said we do deal with it differently you know the girls like to have a picture of Dylan on their screen on their phones I'm not able to do that yet but please God in time I will but we all deal with grief differently but if we can help people going forward that'll help the grief I think. I'm sure it will indeed, but you, you can't have his picture yet. So. No, I find it difficult to look. Yeah. I can talk about Dylan all day, but when I look at his picture, I can't hug him or say hello or goodbye. And I was looking at some of his pictures uh, this morning, and he, he, every picture is a big smile. Oh, he's a great man to smile, yeah. 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 Funny enough, dear, he, dear, he played with Tiberian in the half-back down. Some of the pictures come out of the matches, and he's a smile in his face going out in the field, and even some of the guys in the dressing room would say, you know, when it was his first year such start, starting championship matches and he was able to smile in the dressing room and smile coming out in the field, which is an amazing thing to do because I wasn't great, but I couldn't smile when I was playing. <laughs> but no, he, he was able to do that, Frank, yeah. Yeah, and, and of course you were a great sportsman yourself and the fact he followed in your footsteps must have made that relationship very, very good. Ah, sure indeed, yeah. No, he was far better than I, I ever was, but no, that was great because he won a county final the same where he won another 21 All-Ireland and I did the same which was great and we had pictures taken and we have we have him hung up at home which is lovely to have that like. but he was a great sportsman yeah. the, the, the picture on the jersey has to be one of the most iconic sporting photographs I think I've ever come across which is the, the it's the, amazing the, yeah it's the amazing I don't, yeah, that, that was amazing I, I don't know where I came from I, we must d- divulge it a bit more but yeah holding the Hurley up with DQ11 on it I mean it's, it's a beautiful logo to have for the foundation and people have said that to us all over the world can we use the logo because it's a fabulous logo isn't it it's just absolutely yeah, it's amazing it's so striking it's one of the great sporting photos it is and you, you don't know who, who well, to well I'm not sure now we right, didn't really okay. we will we look into it there's no, there's no question we'll definitely look into it because it's, it's a fabulous to have it now we have many the logos at home obviously and everywhere but no it's, it's, it's fabulous fabulous right, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I can't even say highlights because how can you speak about highlights in, in the midst of your grief but naming the ground uh, after him, amazing, yeah, amazing. Yeah. Was that special? It was special. Yeah, to, to thank it, Andrew and, and the club, Andrew, his uncle, Andrew Friday. Yeah. Oh, it was great. Yeah, it was great, and we we, we launched it sometime in March or April or May. I'm not sure when it was, but all the different club managers and county managers came for the opening. It was a fabulous thing to do, like a great thing, and it does keep his name out there, which again will help the foundation. But yeah, we were very proud of it in that moment. I'm sure you must have been indeed. Our programme director has just joined us, uh, Stephen Keogh, um, right. because, of course, tonight is a very special night um, with the uh, Tip FM Best of Tip Awards. But you have something to say uh, to, to Dan, Stephen. I do, Dan. Um, 
Yes, as you know, we're running the Best of Tip Awards and I mentioned it to you off-air there that we're having a presentation tonight at the Anor Hotel in Thurles and uh, we've had uh, 15 categories all voted for by the public around Tipperary. Uh, first of all, nominations and one of the categories is the local hero uh, category and uh, we were taking nominations and we were inundated with uh, nominations for the Dylan Quirk Foundation. So I would just like to say um, delighted to, to boost the profile further to announce that you've uh, you've received the award. You were the winner. I were the winner. Thank yeah, you, Stephen. That's you great. Yeah, so. Delighted that, Stephen. Again, it's, it, it brings more awareness and yeah. we'd be happy to receive it on behalf of Dylan this evening. Well, you're welcome to come along to the uh, Anor tonight uh, in, uh, in uh, Thurles and we look forward to seeing you there. Thank you very much, Stephen. We'll be there. Brilliant. Well done. Well, thanks for that, Stephen, and uh, congratulations to you, to you, Dan. And as I say, it adds to the profile, but at this stage, Dylan Quirk is known all over, not yes. only the country, but all over the world. No, all over the world, yes, yeah. all over the world. GA clubs all over the world, Canada, Australia, New York, America. It's great. It's yes. great for that. It's great for the foundation. It's great for awareness. Will, will, it, will it always be the foundation, Dan? Will you I step think so. away at any point? I, I, I don't know. I, like, yeah. we've, we have, we've brought in an interim manager, Bicky Bicky Bristow has been superb, great help to us. Yes. And we have a great board, an advisory board. So I'll do whatever's best for the foundation. If it means stepping back in time, I'll step back. But at the moment, we're very, very busy. So we, we, we'll drive on. Oh, well, Benny, congratulations to you. And indeed, once again, condolences to you on such a huge loss. Uh, great to see you, Dan, and we appreciate your time today. Thank thanks, you, Frank. Thanks very much indeed. All right, we'll take a break. Back with some more Tip Today in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie now, uh, one of our listeners on to say Dan is an inspiration to all of us uh, for what he's doing for all of the young GAA fans uh, with the foundation. It's amazing. Dylan was a brilliant player. He was loved by everybody and he would be so proud of his family. And uh, it goes. Uh, this listener goes on to say Dan is a credit indeed to the foundation. And thank you very much indeed for that. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp 083-311-3311. For every problem, there's a solution. Dear Phil, on tip today with Phil Prendergast. And Phil is with me live as you. Good morning to you, Phil. You were very taken with that piece with me. Oh, Stan I was. There, and I, you, you know, I'd like to add my words of condolences to to the family, you know, and Dan. He just spoke so beautifully. Yeah. And the grief was there as oh, an undercurrent yeah. and always will be, I suppose. Yes. But um, like the foundation, as I said, you know, there's a there's people that would have sudden adult deaths, and they they might not be remembered. Dylan Quirk will never be forgotten yeah. for all the most excellent reasons and all all the saddest ones. All the saddest ones, and and, and I was feeling sorry for myself uh, during the week because my, my my son has gone to Australia, and then this morning it, dan, it dawned on me, you know, by comparison to the grief yeah, that Dan yeah. is going through and his but family. But you see, a loss is a loss, but you can't you can't. There's not a scale. Yeah. It's not like yeah. You know, yeah. it's there's not a scale of loss. Everyone 
deals with it differently yeah, and course. your loss is also big so of course we will okay will we launch straight into oh, two, um, two um, letters dear Phil I need advice I was away for the weekend with my girlfriends I haven't been away in five years and God knows I deserve it with five children anyway to cut a long story short my sister-in-law who has caused an awful amount of trouble over the past 20 years so much so I wouldn't possibly be able to tell you if I did I'd be on the Dr Phil show uh, needless to say we don't talk and we don't visit each other's homes she would ring the guards and send a solicitor's letter and a lot of stupid stuff for no reason we my husband and I uh, don't associate with her at all she's like a loose cannon anyway at the weekend my hubby was in the supermarket he met his sister who then invited my youngest to stay at her place to play for an hour my easily led husband said yes he had obviously told her I was away so when she returned the child I only copped today she was in my house. I've seen her snooping in my presses on the security camera and walking down into the bedrooms. I'm actually perplexed. I don't know what to think. This has caused an awful lot of trouble between my hubby and me. I wouldn't dare say anything to her, but because, let's face it, she's a bit rough and always ranting online about stuff, so I would never text her because I know she would screenshot it and play the poor me card. How do I deal with my husband? I feel so betrayed. Help from a frustrated mother. Oh, God. You know, I mean, Mm. really, her husband's not the issue at all. Yeah. His sister is. She should get over what happened um, and have a civilised conversation with him in relation to, um, you know, like in relation to his sister. But she should park it then, Fran, because the poor man probably, you know, she she came upon him, maybe didn't want to disappoint the young fellow. Maybe the young fellow was playing up because he was shopping with his dad anyway, but not in a good way, where it's only groceries and stuff. And uh, she should, he should, she should stop giving energy to this. The issue is the sister-in-law. Her poor husband is is just, he's, he's a stooge in all of this. It is not his fault that his sister did that. And yet there was an opportunity where she said, I'll take him away for an hour for you. He was probably relieved thinking, well, I can get the shop and finish and I can get home, get it unpacked and whatever. However, I think it would have been better for him if he said, I'll pick him up in an hour. Right. And picked okay. him up on the way home with the shopping. And what do you make of your woman snooping around the house? Sure, she's a witch and obviously, you know, like, <laughs> like life goes... <laughs> do you know, I mean, yeah. life goes on without toxic drama and if you have toxic people, you're going to get kind of behaviours that seem to be outside what you would expect as normal. So somebody sending um, solicitor's letters or, you know... Um, going snooping in someone's house it's not normal behaviour it's not normal behaviour so there's a kind of she's she's yeah she's loose cannon alright but right. uh, but you it's, know, it's not the husband's it's not fault. the husband's fault yeah. and certainly like I mean she said how do I deal with my husband I feel so betrayed mm. the husband hasn't done anything wrong whatsoever mm. you know I can understand that Maybe he, he he couldn't say to to the, the 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 sister we're not on that kind of good of terms. He probably wanted maybe to put out a small olive branch there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but like because, if, because if, she is his sister. Exactly, yeah. but she says well, you know she would ring the guards and send a solicitor's letter and a lot of stupid stuff. For, I wonder, I wonder for, what that's all about. I wonder what that's all about yeah. as well. But in the general scheme of things, I think she needs to stop feeling betrayed. She was away for a weekend mm. with her five girlfriends and she hadn't been away for five years. 
The husband seemed to have managed very well while she was away. This happened. He told her. Mm. And she came back and decided to snoop on the, the cameras. Mm. I, I just think her husband is not the issue, is the I, sister is the I love when people write, though, as as they speak. She said, let's face it, she's a bit rough. <laughs> I would have finished that sentence. <laughs> I know. But, all right. yeah. OK, so um, leave yeah. the poor old hubby alone. Leave the hubby okay. alone. I mean, maybe have a chat about if this happens again. Um, mm. You know, like, yeah. don't go she and shopping in Aldi or Little, yeah. wherever he was. <laughs> All right, letter number two then. Dear Phil, I have an issue with a neighbour who I feel is taking advantage and I'm not sure how to approach it. I've always had a good relationship with my next door neighbour. She's a single mum of three and I have great respect for her. She called to the house one day to say that her internet was down and one of her kids was trying to do a report for school and was there any chance that they could log into our Wi-Fi so he could get online to do it. I said it was no problem and gave her the password to our Wi-Fi. That was two months ago and she's still logging on to the Wi-Fi. We can see the devices connected to our Wi-Fi and some nights it's as many as six devices. I just feel she has taken the P a little bit, but I'm not sure how to handle it. My husband is getting cross about it because it is now affecting our internet speed at home and he says we're paying for another family to use our internet. He was on about just changing the password and putting an end to it in that way, but I think it's a bit passive-aggressive way of handling it. He says, if I feel like that, then I can approach at the neighbour myself but I really don't want to I feel like I'm kicking a woman when she's down but I do agree that she is taking advantage what do you think Phil? Now there's very rare that I can say a husband is 1000% correct but he's correct in this one absolutely change the password mm. you know they need to tell her up to six devices on, on their Wi-Fi. That's a lot, isn't it? And if they want to go on and do something or do some research or do pro- programmes for school or whatever it might be, their their um, input is going to be, it, it'll be absolutely subject to the demand at the house next door. Mm. So they should just change the, the password and when the internet goes down, you know, maybe she'll come alone... Uh, can you give us the new password? Say absolutely not. There was an absolute. This was a, a short term. I felt it was very short term, and you haven't reconnected and it's to your gone own on account. It's gone on for months. Yeah. So th- that's not good enough at all. I mean, up to six devices. That's just really brazen, you know. Mm. Um, it's a perfectly reasonable thing without even telling her to change that password. Now, she has a nice relationship with this woman and she has a lot of respect for her because she's a single mum bringing up uh, three kids. So is there anything in that that it would damage that relationship? Yeah, but, her? like, her internet didn't stay down, Fran. Mm. But she was willing to continue using their facilities. Yeah. And that is not right either. You know, so, I mean, OK, there, there's two ways of doing it. She can just change the password like the husband suggested. Um, but I think her, her way of saying that that's passive-aggressive. It might come across as being sudden because Mm. if you're trying to log on iPads and iPhones and all sorts of things onto the Wi-Fi of the people next door um, and it it reduces their speed, I'd be going in and saying, listen, there's actually a real effect on our, our ability to be able to use our own internet and unfortunately we need to change the password because, um, I felt your internet being down was very temporary and that you should right. just get so you own. would have the conversation absolutely you? Right. and okay. and I wouldn't have it in an aggressive way I would have it a very soft approach and just say listen just in case you're wondering now we will be changing the password because 
this has happened. The speed mm. of our internet connection has gone down. There were so six devices on it on that night. Um, so, look, I'm just giving you a bit of notice that you need maybe to reconnect with your own Wi-Fi. Right, because I know that if they changed the password and said nothing, I'll bet you your woman wouldn't have said anything either. I don't think she would, because she she's would. probably bit embarrassed yeah, if but then again good. she's not looking at their screen and seeing six devices so she may be unaware she may be just confiscating phones and doing all sorts and yes. could have all sorts of other things that they can connect oh to i see the your Wi-Fi point that with. the kids are the kids are connecting with Ab- all absolutely sorts of you know so i mean it, it just it might be a surprise to her so she could do it and i suppose it's the best way to do it if she went in and said listen there's a bit of an issue after arising on such and such a night we were trying to to do with various stuff to do and um, there were six devices from your house connected to our password. We 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 will be having to change that. Mm. So I just want to give you notice of it. Okay, all right. And that advice. shouldn't cause any offence to her at all. Yeah, good advice. Um, the final one then, dear Phil, my mum died during the summer from a long and protracted illness which lasted about six years. During all of that time, I cared for her by myself as I'm an only child. I never regretted a minute of it and I'm glad she got to stay at home, which was what she wanted. There's no denying that I was very tough and often lonely but I don't regret it. In the last few weeks of my mum's life, friends and family were telling me that while it's awful, death will be a relief to her and also to me because I will get my life back. I almost thought it was a very insensitive thing to say, but I didn't say anything. When she died, although people were very good to me in the first few weeks after her death, a few months down the line, they seem to have the attitude that I should be getting on with things and making a new life for myself, but I just don't know how to do that. I was a qualified beautician, but with the gap of almost six years, the industry has moved on so much, I feel like I'm not qualified for it anymore. I've been surviving on a wage from a part-time retail job, but I just feel so lost. I don't know what to do and even where to start. Maybe I should have planned for this while my mum was sick but it just didn't occur to me and I was so focused on her. How do I start my life again? I'm in my 50s and sometimes I just feel tired and past it. Oh, I just have sympathy for this lady yes. on her loss. You know, And it's a common Oh, it's very, very common it? and yeah. it's a very sad time and it would be a good idea for her to have bereavement counselling yeah. because they have all of the I know there's a passion to it and there's an expectation to it and people react differently but like she has a lot of options now I can understand that when you have people coming and going all the time and the supports are there when they start to phase off and people think you big girl now you could stand on your yeah. own two feet the loss is much more acute I'm, Im- I'm imagining going into an empty house from a job that's probably not paying her very well now and she took the sacrifice and did a great job obviously looking after her mother in her final years. Now she should go to the citizens advice and maybe the tax office as well to discuss her options because there's a lot of things that might be available to her that she's unaware of that might be able to inform whether or not she needs to go back to working as a beautician but if she's been a beautician for that long she will be a very accomplished woman and she she would regain her confidence Mm. at what she previously worked at you know there's a lot of elderly people like me and that that would need makeup for a wedding or something now and you'd be very happy to go to very happy to go to anyone because they all improve you no doubt about that. <laughs> so she Hast- hastily, yes. <laughs> hastily in case. Um, but, and there's also a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, skills 
on, on the internet now available. She could look at makeup tutorials and there'd be ones on there talking and they'd be putting on brown here and brown there and pink here and a dot there and a white bit there and shading and, you know, highlighting and low lighters and <laughs> all sorts of things. And they come out with the most amazing looks yes. and you're thinking, how how is, how is that person? Now, I, I don't know how the filter thing works because I'm old, but... I'm sure quite a lot there might be filters. But I do anyway, to get back to this lady, she really will say wedding makeup is a busy job if she was going to go to people's houses. Now, obviously, that would have to suit her and it would have to be within a distance and that. Um, Like, what? there's numerous tutorials like mm. everywhere, not just on the internet. There's people that will do them. There's There's local classes. All she needs really, I think, is taking the confidence step but the first step for this lady I definitely think is to talk to a bereavement counsellor because because they will know all that has happened in 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 the whole process of grief and how it differs for different people and this woman is probably very lonely now and you know just mm. feeling out of it feeling the loss very acutely we're coming into the the dreary kind of time of, of year course, if you yes. like and yeah. then you have the Christmas and that so she's going to have all these occasions as well and memories and it's quite cute it's quite hard mm. and uh, play, playing music for, for the dancing I come across quite a lot of people who have that void in their life they might have been caring for decades in some yeah, cases yeah. indeed and then all of a sudden they're they're there, they're single, possibly. Um, maybe but they've lost some social skills along yeah, the way. They as would well, have, you know, and they'd so. be untethered. Yeah. They're feeling untethered yeah. because they... In, and if you think about it, it's about a confidence thing as well. You're going home to an empty house, and if you're going into an empty house, it's probably feeling cold. It's uninviting. It's not warm, even though it's your space. And, you mm. know, but all her memories are in that house as well. Um, but I definitely think that if she was a beautician for many years, she can, you know, draw breath for a while, go for her counselling, see how it, where it takes her, see how it helps her, mm. because it definitely will help. And also that she may be entitled to a few things now that would have a financial advantage to her. And she may not have to go back, but it might be a lovely job where she could set herself up as, say, um, a wedding makeup person. Mm. Because those skills required for that won't be very much more than what she was doing. And if she needs to go back and do a few refresher courses, she could do that so as well. And there's a lot of them available, and I'm sure Huge available like without cost of, as well. There's yeah. a lot of free ones available yeah, yeah. on the internet, as I said. Yeah. Um, and if she goes and gets involved with TikTok, when she stops feeling frightened of it. <laughs> she, you know what I mean? She yes, will be fine. She will yeah. get the confidence back, and she'll see how things... She'll say, yeah, I could do that. Because... When people are doing a job for a long time, they nearly know when someone comes in. If a hairdresser meets you coming in and they feel your hair, they know what kind of whether it's brittle, whether it's grey, whether it's yes. whether it's processed, too processed, wrong colour, looking not right for you, and other stuff. They would know instinctively. Again, you have to be very careful with how you say things to people because they can take upset very easily. Of course they can. You of know. course they can. But yeah, I, I have sympathies and, and condolences to her on her loss. But yeah, things will get better for her. Uh, one of our listeners on, on social media, because we put up uh, the letter about the, the, the Wi-Fi there, one of our listeners saying, I cha- I'd change the password. Uh, if they can afford six devices, they can afford to sort out uh, internet, even if it's just a mobile data dongle with limited internet. Isn't uh, she right uh, there? So, yeah. Yeah, 
if yeah. that listener is very right. And, and Tina is saying as well, let him change the password. And if she calls about it, just say that uh, the family logging on was affecting the speech, which is basically what, what exactly. You and and it, again, it's a very reasonable response to to that, and just say, oh, you know, maybe. It, <laughs> That slipped our mind. We should have. We should have probably just done it to get you over your being down in your internet. You know, <laughs> down on your internet. I love that yeah. indeed. Um, I always pick your brains with your medical past as a nurse and a, a midwife and all of that. The current situation we've been talking about it where the hospital record number down in uh, UHL one hundred and thirty people on trolleys yeah. uh, yesterday. Um, they're scrambling for money now. They're they're looking for money. Lots, Brian, lots you see what's money. happening here though is the the um Bernard class I was listening to him like they're they're scrambling for money but what they, there's so much I suppose misuse or wasteful funds like and I know I sometimes say things like this and say do you hear that old dinosaur on the radio but like there's an awful lot of waste now everything is single use single use um scopes single use glasses, single-use masks, obviously. But, like, there's a whole lot of of misuse of people by expecting that you're going to have a cohort of people that can be, if you call it nursing, or being cared for, medically or otherwise, in a, what is an, a public right, a, a walkway. There's no opportunity for dignity there. There's no opportunity to be respectful when people need to deal with bodily functions. Mm. There's no opportunity to give them any degree of dignity. It's trolleys are high. They are not beds. I know they put them down and mm. lower them down, mm. but they're still not beds and they're not comfortable. I know it's the best they can possibly do. But if you want to say that all roads lead to Limerick, oh, you can bypass Nina and you can bypass Cashel, you can bypass Clamart, you can bypass all these people um, and, and cut down beds and not have an impact, you're going to have the situation. And I'm very conscious of all the people that have died, including very young people, mm. being mm. nursed on a corridor or being so-called because they're in that system and they're on the books that there is actually somebody to be able to work for them. And I know that that girl with meningitis, had she been in the right place, there is a potential that her life... So you, you're in no doubt that people are dying because oh, of this? Oh, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. And no disrespect meant to... I know staff are working mm-hmm. at their very, very best. But you have... We have now a, a, a very eclectic mix of even nationalities Mm. working within our systems. Language is a barrier in Mm. some cases. There's also people with local dialects that have maybe a very strong accent Mm. and it can be very hard for them to communicate their needs and they mightn't have the vocabulary to be able to do that. So when you're thinking about having people on a corridor and someone going in with kind of really, really fretting, if you're sitting in a corridor and thinking, I'm 19th in the queue, and 19th in the queue can actually mean two more days before they're seen. Wow. So, I mean, because of the complexity of presentations that would appear at an A&E, or a medical assessment unit, or a minor industries unit. It is great that they have all these different places, but sometimes I think you have to call it and say, we need to clear out that theatre or whatever and put beds in there and put people in there and, and put staff in there. 
Are you hearing anything that would give you an indication that there's a vision or a plan or that this is being dealt with in any way? No, friend. Nothing at all. No, no. And I think, you know, when I go back to the vision for change that saw local psychiatric hospitals closed. Wonderful, wonderful document. A wonderful document. But the reality is that now we have a service that is... You, you're siphoning people down to you're escorting people down to another county. You're doing it because they had better, maybe, I'm not going to say better politicians, but more astute politicians mm. that demanded that the services should be, say, in Kilkenny instead of in Clonmel. And I think there has been, there's an untold amount of lost people to suicide and other things because of decisions that were made that did not see leaving um, equality and very, very excellent and very, very uh, professional and very, very, very... They knew everything about the job and how to manage people. And sadly, a lot of that has gone. That's... That's pessimistic stuff, but I mean, I know we're dealing with reality yeah. here, Phil, yeah. and that's... And I don't you know, like to be pessimistic. I know, I know and, and on, a, on a positive note, look, there is fabulous units now opened up yeah. in Clonmel, and there's great and there's great building going on up, you know, where St. Anthony's was. There's, there's progress being made, but when you have overcrowding in A&E's, it's, you're talking about, well, dignity is not going to come first for you. Your health has to come first, and it's very, very difficult if you're back in the queue. Phil, always a delight. Thanks, thanks very much indeed for coming into us today. Um, we'll be back with more. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Thank you to the many people who were on to us to uh, compliment Dan on that uh, interview this morning. Dan Quirk, uh, that is. uh, He's just a lovely man and most pleasant, but it's still very visible. His grief is still so... So visible, as you can imagine. Um, we were speaking to Noreen at the top of the show, who was very critical of her recent experience in hospital. Now, you'd imagine um, it triggered a huge, as you can imagine, it triggered a huge response from listeners. And uh, Donald joins me now. Donald, good morning to you. Uh, good morning, Fran, and good morning to your listeners. Uh, good to talk to you, Donald. It seems there's no let up when it comes to uh, easing the whole chaos of the, the health system, Donald. Well, it seems to be an ongoing problem. And it's not just a recent occurrence, Brian. It's going on for years. I, I remember about, say, about six years ago, I had an experience in there myself in Limerick. Um, I was called in for a little bit of investigation. Now, it was a very simple thing. It was meant to be an ultrasound, mm. which is straightforward enough. So I was call- in for 11 o'clock on a Monday morning, and we waited, and we waited, and we waited. And at four o'clock in the afternoon, they suddenly discovered the guy who was supposed to do the ultrasound was actually off that day. Ah, oh, come on. Are you serious? So can you come back tomorrow? So fortunately, I was off work. So I came back the next day. And lo and behold, after some considerable waiting, we managed to find somebody to do the ultrasound in the afternoon. 
planned. Went in, had the ultrasound, all done in about 20 minutes. Uh, went out to wait for the result. Then they discovered they had no one to read it. My God. So, day three beckons. And on the third day, we go back in again and waited and waited and waited. And now it was coming up to five o'clock in the evening at this stage and I was getting fairly short and fairly impatient. And I was, oh no, you can't leave uh, because the doctor has to see you. I said, I wish the doctor would materialise because uh, I need to get back to Nina. Mm. I need to be back in Nina for six o'clock because I actually had to pick up some medication from the chemist before I went home and he all closed at six, you see. Oh, she says to me, the young lady behind the counter, should you be back in Nina in 20 minutes? God said, what kind of a car you're driving, dear girl? It must be the Starship Enterprise. I, I drive an oil car, I said, and it takes me 35 minutes without breaking the speed limit. And it was now pushing half five. I said, I'm going, lads. Good luck. Oh, you can't. Just watch me, I said. Once I went out the door and I've never gone back since. Because uh, the whole thing is a bit of a joke. And did the ultrasound like, ever get read, Donald? I have no idea. You've no idea. <laughs> to this day. Um, i put you this way. Um, it took... Three days to do something that should take an hour. So efficiency, of, efficiency is is the word, isn't it? A lack it of is, la- yeah. lack of management. Yeah. I think we spoke about this before, Fan, and the yeah. shall we say the incompetence of management. And I think some of our uh, elected representatives have spoken about this as well. In the yeah, past. Michael Lavery spoke out very much so. He about, did actually, about, I believe, about yes. management. Yeah, yeah. And it, the fingers all point back to senior management in that so-called University Hospital Limerick. It doesn't deserve a title because nothing in there is university standard. If that is university standard, my goodness, we're all doomed. And when when the excuse comes up that, OK, in the last 20 years, I mean, there's a, been a big surge in population, there's a huge difference in the kind of numbers that they're dealing with now, and of course now we have the refugee si- uh, situation on top of that. Does, that. does that excuse any of this, Donald, as far as you're concerned? They tried to create, inverted commas, a centre of excellence in Limerick. And what they do then is they shut down the A&E departments in Limerick, or sorry, Nina and Ennis. Mm-hmm. Of course, everybody, all roads lead to Limerick. Yeah. And the whole place becomes totally overcrowded, unmanageable, and it, it, chaos descends in the place. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, because the plan wasn't in place, really. I mean, Limerick wasn't prepared for what was going to happen, um, or, or they didn't realise what was going to happen, which is even worse. Well, then you have to add into the mix, of course, a number of years ago, a large number of beds were closed. Yeah, yeah, uh, of course. Yeah. All, all around the country. Yeah, yeah. And the whole country has never recovered from that because they've never found those beds again. And even if they do now find those beds miraculously, they still don't have the staff, the staff of to course, actually yeah. run them. Yeah. Because the staff are voting with their feet, if you like, and anyone who qualifies is heading for Dubai or Australia or wherever, where they can get a very nice salary with low stress and um, usually tax-free. Or they go into the private healthcare system here in this country where everything is organised. And you have a normal work day. But at huge, at huge cost to those of us who are lucky enough to be able to afford it. I mean, it's huge cost. Well, that is, that is true, you see. It's kind of a side of the problem. But, like, you just look across the water to the other man. There is no private health care. There is one health care system for everybody. And everybody's treated the same. Exactly. 
So, yeah. I'm not sure if you were listening on the day, but Michal Martin took me to task and, and said I was being well, negative about the, the well, health system. You know, by pointing out what we've been say. chatting about, you know. They don't, he obviously doesn't listen either that or his political cohorts are closing their ears and they're earning earplugs or something because we're not being negative about the system. We're actually telling the reality of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as my late aunt said to me one day, inside in Limerick, you're only a number. Nobody cares. And it goes back to the point of if you're an elderly person and you go into that mayhem, you're lost. If you don't have someone to speak up for you on the spot, you're in trouble. Because you will not get looked after, you will not get the adequate care, even down to physical care of basic daily needs. I know from bitter personal experience what it's like in there because it doesn't exist. It's very haphazard. And when you, what, what the basic needs? Do you mean like the bathroom and the? But, but even down to moving people to and from the bathroom, yeah. um, you know, finding someone to do that, uh, washing, even down to making sure somebody's false teeth are actually removed and replaced. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. is not happening. And again, we're back to dignity. You know, people exactly. deserve their dignity, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, the older people in this country are the ones who built the country. And they pay their taxes and they pay their dues, but this is what they get. Second-class treatment, to say the least, even third-class. Not good enough, man. Can you see, can you see anything, up. Donald? Is, is there... Is there any hope that you're seeing? I mean, is anybody saying anything that's resonating with you to say, oh, yeah, well, maybe, maybe that's... Well, you see, friend, the bottom line is very simple. Um, I don't think anyone has the will or the determination to do what's necessary. And in my view, that implies immediately firing the senior management. They have to go. Firing them? You could not... You could not inflict those people on anybody else. You would have to bar them from any public service for life, at the very least. Mind you, I would probably have a more draconian method of dealing with them, but that's for another day, shall we say. But you see, who would you you replace them with then, do you think? Are there people out there, do you think, with vision and with skills that would fix this in some way? I think there are people with common sense, for sure. You need a good dose of that, because... Healthcare is expensive. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. It costs money. If you want to have the right people and the right equipment, you have to spend on it. You can't be cutting back on something that's actually essential for the preservation yes. of human life. And Phil Prendergast made made the point that, I mean, I'm sure she would be in total agree with agreement with you that a spend is necessary in terms of the, the latest equipment. Like, but there's a lot of money wasted as well, Donald. Friend, if you only knew what was going on inside in that so-called University Hospital Limerick, it's atrocious. The waste, uh, the duplication of resources, mm, yeah. um, and it often is down to downright incompetence. Oh, it right. can be fixed, uh, but it would take somebody with a good big size 12 boot to do it. Yeah, and I mean, I often say it here, but we've, you know, whatever your political persuasion might be some of the best of the best of the politicians would have had a go at it over the years and failed miserably, including Mr. Martin. Well, himself, I, I, you know? I don't actually have any political persuasion because I gave up on all those lads years ago, to be quite yeah. honest, because I think they're all equally useless. 
Plaguing all your houses. Pl- plaguing all your houses, as they say. Donald, a pleasure as always. Look after yourself and thank you so much. Thanks, for, friend. For, Mind for yourself. Take thank care. you. Bye-bye to you now. Um, just before I go, the winner of the Louise Morrissey uh, tickets, John Hennessy in Mulnahone. Uh, well done to you, John. Enjoy that wonderful night. November 3rd, that's next Friday week, I think. Uh, Louise is celebrating 35 years in the lovely Talbot Hotel in Clanmill. She'll be joined on the night by Philomena Begley and Ray Lynham and Jerry Guthrie and Marty Daniels, Molly O'Connell, uh, the wonderful band Matrimony and the most important man, uh, my old friend Tony Brooke will be there as compare on the night as well. That's it for me, Ali. Produced Stevens on the way with the time tunnel. I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. For 